lot of these late night movies with Robin Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel, and most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Captain Larry Bridgewater, and I decide what happens on this train. <laughs> Did I fake you out, Zach? Did you think I was going to say, and I want to have your baby? <laughs> <laughs> Those are my two contenders. But, uh, so, since I am Captain Larry Bridgewater, and I decide what happens on this train, Zach, um... Should we get the Jeff the Worm in the room out of the way, even though this is coming out, what, a little under four months uh, after the the events we need to discuss regarding Will Smith has happened? Okay. Okay, Rob already heard this in the pre-show recording. We have to address it to the audience. Um, 2022 has become a weird year, and, like, it became the year of Will Smith on the podcast. Like, unintentionally so. Yeah. When we recorded the Wild Wild West discussion, I don't think we realized that uh, we definitely didn't then. Even now, it's kind of hard to wrap our brains around how prescient that like discussion now is when it comes to Will Smith and his place in pop culture for the oh, last yeah. 30 plus years. But for the the audience at home, like we were like Rob said, we're recording this currently in March of 2022. <laughs> um, we were supposed to record this s- Oscar Sunday, like the like for Rob, it would be what the late afternoon for me, it would be early evening. Yeah. And kind of at the 11th hour, I texted Rob I'm like, hey, can we delay this to Tuesday? And Rob was like, sure. Like, I had a we'll whole thing. I was going to say like, oh, we're recording this on the night of the Oscars. Maybe we'll get some live reactions uh, when, you know, whoever wins or whatever like that. But we had to throw that all out the window. Because Zach texted me like he, he, he is wont to do, and he was like, oh my god, Rob, I need to work three days from now, so I just need to hibernate. <laughs> more or less, more or less. I was a very, very selfish podcast uh, co-host. <laughs> and then, much like the world, I woke up that Monday morning and realized, God bless Will Smith. <laughs> because he gave us maybe the cherry on top. To our not just Wild Wild West discussion, but Men in Black 1 and 3 discussion. Yes. As we continue it with Men in Black 2 for the 2002 Fort Month. Um, beautiful. Like, I, I oh, could yeah. not have – like, I was telling numerous people this was a sheer act of providence. Like, there's no better <laughs> term for it than that. Like, this is a gift bestowed from the gods, God – there's no other explanation for this because after everything we've touched upon when it came to Will Smith, this this is it. Like oh, yeah. this is everything we could possibly ask for, and just it, it's a weird. Just Will Smith's place in pop culture. Like yes. I, I honestly don't know where to begin, especially after how we talked about it a lot in the Men in Black Three like element of that discussion where like he sat there had a trailer where like he had a trailer like the size of a city block That's right. um yeah like this is like it, it's so weird considering that also from wild wild west we talked about him uh, being nominated for king arthur um intentionally calling it king arthur for this yeah um, yeah and, and just like <laughs> like everything like this is oh god is this worse than taylor swift and kanye like this is this like is it that level again of just like cultural 
importance in a war show? I I think so, and uh, and I'm I'm with you, Zach. I have to say that when I saw the Will Smith thing, you know, when I first learned about it, which was either late night Sunday or early morning Monday, that type of thing. I had the same thought. I was like, Jesus, did we get lucky that we can now, you know, not only talk Absolutely. about this, but, you know, get some of the response. And I've heard other people talking about all this stuff. Um, but this is I'm glad you bring up the, the Kanye and Taylor Swift thing. I wanted to relate it back um, to something else we discussed back in 2021 in the 2001 Fort year. Uh, and I was I, I really like this that I came up with it, Zach. Uh, so I hope you like it, too. Just as the Golden Globes had Brendan Fraser with the clap, now the Oscars have Will Smith with the slap. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I'm with you. Where to start? I, I think, you know, it's been months now, four, a little under four months, like I said. So I think people still remember this. You know, I'm sure it's been talked to death. Jeez, it's almost been talked to death the two days after it happened at this yeah. point. Um. But I guess my first question for you, Zach, is uh, one of the big things that I've been hearing a lot of discourse about on the the grand old internet. You know, we love it. Um, do you think it was staged or not? That seems to be a big thing that people have been arguing about, as idiots often do on the internet. As soon as anything happens, they're like, you have half the internet saying, it's real, and the other half going, it's fake, and you're stupid for thinking it. Um I, of course, fall in the uh, the mindset that I don't care. It still happened. <laughs> yeah, we can exactly. still talk about it. Um but uh, I, I, and I also have to say, I, I am of the mindset that if uh, if something is being filmed, like if there is if there are people with cameras filming something, and you think it's real, you're a fool. Um, but it also doesn't matter if it's real. But I don't know. What? Is, how do you fall on that uh, that debate? Uh, obviously, I side with it. Doesn't matter. Um, sure. It got sure. it got the response it was intended to have. Big so it's it, whether intentional or not, it succeeded. Um, that's kind of how I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, when it, I, the, the element I see it the most fascinating, and this goes back to Wild Wild West, is just the Will Smith cultural aspect of it. <laughs> yes. That's the thing I find the most fascinating. Um, as the fake or not, I really, um, what's his name? Chris Rock seems to be. I don't want to say flustered, but he seems to be kind of – he doesn't know what to do with it. Like his reaction – but we also don't know too because the ABC broadcast cut out at that moment. So we don't know what his reaction is. The the quote authentic take is like I think from the Japanese broadcast. Like you have the keep your wife's name out of your your fucking mouth. And then like that keeps going. He says it twice and Chris Rock's like I am. I am. And like it's a weird – weirdly sober moment for chris rock um which we're not used to by him so like that lends some legitimacy to it mm-hmm. um we also know at these award ceremonies that security is out the wazoo so if someone wasn't supposed to be doing something they would be immediately tackled sure um, not, nothing nothing happens like like you wouldn't be able to move at the oscars unless it was officially sanctioned so you <laughs> you have that element as well um, but at the end of the day, like, it doesn't matter. Um, it, what's happened, happened. It's like, like arguing, uh, the JFK assassination, the guy is dead. <laughs> so it's like, we can debate this, but at the end of the day, the result is still the result. There's nothing we can do to change it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, also I, 
I, I've heard both sides of the argument, of course, because every, every like, streamer I follow on Twitch and YouTube, they've all been talking about it, you know, that type of thing. Um, I, one of the interesting takes I heard was that in the camp of that it, it was real, not staged is when I say real, is that, you know, the, the slap definitely connects, and it even sounds like he gets clubbed a little bit. Like, either, you know, Will Smith, like, hit his, like, uh, his jaw or something, Chris Rock's jaw, or, like, the... Um, with that, whatever the part of your hand is that's under your thumb, you know, that hit Chris Rock's face. And you can hear it, that type of thing. Um, and also, it's kind of like, I, the take I didn't really like is I heard some people saying, oh, it has to be real because if this was staged, why would Chris Rock agree to be, like, physically assaulted? And I'm like, that's just stupid. Like, you know, people get hit in movies all the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, there, there are some things, too, just about the fact that, like, somebody's approaching you on stage. Um, why would you not try? If, if this was all... If authentic, why wouldn't you just naturally recoil? Sure, sure. Um, there's things like that. But I also think there's a culture at the Oscars that, like, not Oscar, but any sort of, like, entertainment award ceremony that, like, impromptu moments mm-hmm. are are gold. So, like, there's also a thing, too. Chris Rock ain't exactly a spring chicken. He's been around the block a few times. This isn't his first award ceremony. So I would imagine as he sees Will Smith approaching the stage, he's like, okay, something good's about to happen. Sure, like, like this is sure. the, this is about to go again. It's like we've talked about it. Like, this is about to go viral. This is gonna become a meme. So like, go with it. Like, like acting yeah. is reacting. Um, so maybe like there's been moments too where we've seen like what like Will Ferrell just like arbitrarily like walk on stage during an award ceremony. Um, Aubrey Plaza will just yeah. do something. I thought about like, the Aubrey Plaza when she went up and tried to grab what Will Ferrell's MTV yeah, okay. award or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I thought definitely thought so. That. I. So I could see that happening where he just figured, let's go with it. And I think Rob probably saw the headline as imagined by this time, everybody that like Chris Rock's like stand up, like sales have gone through the roof. Yes. Um, so yeah, like, like we live in a culture now. So like, like, like again, like Rob said, everything's on camera. So we have to assume this is all being done for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like just because like, Oh, like there's a difference between being like in on the joke and it being orchestrated. Sure, like clearly sure. Chris Rock's thing was written for him. Like he wasn't Satara. This wasn't improv. Yeah. So yeah. who's to say that somebody didn't sit there tell this to Will Smith and Will Smith was inti- like deliberately anticipating it? Um so we we don't know. There's rehearsals. There's no reason to believe that, like, okay, maybe Chris Rock was expecting a reaction, maybe he wasn't expecting that reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows what Will Smith was going to do? Maybe Chris Rock knew in advance that like, okay, Will Smith was, it was leaked to him that somebody told him what was going to be said. Yeah. And Chris Rock was told maybe he's back on this and he decided in the moment how to behave. Um, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, like, exactly. again, there's a different, there's a difference between staged and orchestrated and meticulously crafted. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, like, I, it feels like nothing's a secret, especially in today's world when it comes to entertainment. So probably everybody, the two parties at hand probably knew something was going to happen. And guess what? It also got, like, I, if you ever wanted to know, too, look at the 2002, what was it, MTV Video Music Awards in 2010 versus 2009. Mm-hmm. Clearly people were anticipating something like that. So next year, guess what? There might be more of a uh, crowd so and like and we've talked about it a few times on here, even the idea of like it doesn't matter how much viewership the Oscars gets. I think it was they got the second worst ratings ever. <laughs> um, it's the idea that guess what? It trended. It, yeah. You don't have to make money anymore. If you just get media attention, even though it doesn't always equal dollars, 
it's just it's we live in the media economy. If you get attention, yeah. that's what matters, even if you're at a net capital loss. <laughs> exactly. I do. I do think that there is some. Uh, once again, like we've said, we both think it's like whatever. It, who they got? It doesn't matter if it's stage orchestrated, real, whatever you want to say. But I do think, like part of me that leans towards the stage thing. I do think it was kind of, you know, almost too fitting that you know Will Smith wins Best Actor, wins his Oscar, and gets to get up there and say like I played a character that defended their family, and now I'm defending my family. Like that seems very canned to me. If you know what I'm saying. It seems almost like too beautifully poetic. Exactly. Like, it, like, yeah. It, it, it almost works beautifully. Um, and like I said, there, there's so many layers to this that like you wouldn't know where to begin. Like you, you could sit there write a book on this and every and all the layers to be extrapolated from it. Um, we also know Will Smith is is known now for being kind of bonkers as like an individual. Yep. Um, like clearly the culture still looks at him as the fresh prince oh yeah um like very much like as soon as this happened like the like dummies on the internet circling the wagons for him mm-hmm. being like chris rock deserved it like and they're looking at it solely like under the guise of like comedian make joke at at fresh prince <laughs> um nobody's looking at it with any sort of subtext yeah and it's like yeah chris rock had it coming and I'm like, are we really at a point now where we're going to shoot the jester? I'm like, are we really you. at that point in the culture? Like, I get it. Twitter like thrives off shooting the jester. Mm-hmm. But like, are we really at a point now in pop culture where like comedians can't even make jokes at celebrities? Like, are we at that point now? And it seems like based on like what you're seeing on the internet, like, yeah, half the populace believes that like you cannot laugh. Laughter is a crime. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's, like, da- that's, that's dangerous. That's, I'm with you there for sure. That's the scariest takeaway from this is that half the population thinks that laughing at somebody else's expense, even if they're a multi, multi-million dollar celebrity, mm-hmm. is inexcusable. And yeah. I think that might be the scariest takeaway from this. Sure. Is that like half the population does thinks comedy is bad. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. Um, that That is definitely dangerous and, uh, and you know, a, a little bit scary, like you said. Um the take that I've formulated in these last two days, you know, but uh, definitely from seeing a lot of other people talking about things like this. Now, if you Google, like right now, post these Oscars that ha- that aired in 2022, in March of 2022, if you, if you Google Will Smith Oscar or Will Smith Oscars, this is all you're going to see, you know? Like every result that's going to come up on Google is, is going to be flooded with the slap, as we've said. Prior to Sunday night, prior to, um, you know, March 27th, if you Googled Will Smith Oscar, you would pull up his character from Shark Tale. Because apparently in Shark Tale, his (laughs) character's name is Oscar. And so there could be something that Will Smith wants to expunge that movie or his participation in that movie from existence and now has the uh had had found the way to do it um you you have to google will smith oscar shark tale to get anything related to that movie now uh not just will smith oscar so coincidence i think not <laughs> so what you're saying rob is this all boils down to search engine optimization yep yep absolutely and if we know anything from you know will smith in the last uh not even few years tons of years you know god 10 years his uh his whole life is seo and stuff like that <laughs> yeah like that's again like kind of slowly transition into men in black too um it's that notion of like we talked about it a lot in like wild wild west where like people just oh god like he is what america's big brother in a way yeah yeah where like people still look at him 
like like oh god how old is he now like what in his 50s he has to be in his 50s right 95 i don't know <laughs> i mean yeah <laughs> i think I, I looked it up because uh, i was looking into it i think he was born in 1968 so what that makes him 52 okay. 53 or something like that so like this is clearly a middle-aged man and yet there are adults out there that refuse to look at him that way sure he is still the wise cracking uh oh god just will smith yeah. and it's like like no like i think like regardless of what this was whether it was staged or not mm-hmm. um this is clearly a megalomaniacal narcissist oh absolutely that, that, and and we like yeah, this is this is just another outlet for that because I feel like we've already established that that was his whole driving force with his children was his narcissism yeah. and stuff and, like that, and, and, and we've rewarded that now. Yeah, um, like I, I we're at a point now with the Oscars. I remember like caring about the Oscars back in the day, um, as it's not caring as it, it like meant anything, but just it was always entertaining. Like it was that benchmark, mm-hmm. and now like you look at it and it's like you look at some of these Oscar nominees, especially now that they're letting kind of like Netflix garbage and Apple TV on there, and it's like again, yeah. this, these aren't real movies. Real quick, what uh, the fuck is Coda? I, I don't never know what a Coda fucking is. heard of Coda. I mean, I've heard of a Coda. I know what a Coda <laughs> I, is, but I don't know what the movie is. Zach's uh, like, I've I, never heard the word Coda in my life. <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I please make a very, very specific reference? Please. I love this. <laughs> like, like, this is an insane reference that, like, almost, like, when I think of Coda, there was, if Rob remembers, obviously me as the uh, drinking the Kool-Aid hard on Disney Channel in the early 2000s. There was the Disney Channel, not Disney Channel, Disney animated film Brother Bear. Oh, sure. Yeah. Which features Joaquin Phoenix in a bear costume for 90 minutes. <laughs> um, and, and there was a Disney Surfers promo on the Disney Channel where, like, the whole plot of that movie is Joaquin Phoenix kills a bear and then, like, what? Like, becomes a bear? Like, I only saw that movie once. I don't remember the plot of yeah, it. Yeah, I've never seen it. <laughs> but, but it was called Brother Bear because, like, he then, like, can talk bear just go with it and like there's a little baby bear and like he's explain and the little baby bear is explaining <laughs> Rob's losing his mind I'm, la- right I'm laughing because you said he could speak bear my mind immediately <laughs> went to oh it's harry potter he speaks bearsel tongue <laughs> i don't know why i thought of that for some reason <laughs> uh, um and then like on disney surfers they have like the child voice actor of the ba- like the brother bear the titular brother bear mm-hmm. and he's like and like there's a clip from the movie and it's a kid explaining it. it's like my name is ko duh ko duh okay. it might be it might be on the vhs rip of pixel perfect we, <laughs> i might have to rewatch okay. pixel perfect for this episode um we have enough lead time that i can do this <laughs> yeah. numerous times to try to find this clip <laughs> right um but like yeah like i saw that it's like yeah coda is like the main oscar winner of the 2022 oscars and like literally i'm just like i looked into it and my literal reaction was like like so we don't reward movies anymore like we should honestly put tiktoks now into the oscars oh, of course yeah. like just be like if we're just gonna let any visual media into the oscars like just let all of it in like it, like we should start having like oh god oh like what's the current youtube like youtuber that we all like like just put that in there like sure. if there's no benchmark anymore for like getting into the quote club um the infamous oscar scenario being what, what was it 2008 when they didn't allow the dark knight in everybody got mad yeah, so then yeah. what 2009 they put like 10 nominees in <laughs> yes. and still they, they they gave it to the hurt locker which is a film that nobody cares about other than the fact that like 
Catherine Bigelow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, uh, can the Oscars take the wrong lesson away from what the masses want? <laughs> it's like, just give it to Spider-Man No Way Home. Exactly. Just, like, ha- yeah. like, give all 24 Oscars to Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> You'll get the headlines you want. Move on. Or in like, Zach's world. Or in Zach's world. Give them all to Malignant, of course. <laughs> I, okay, real quick. There was, like, the fans' choice category. Yeah, yeah. Did you see what won? No, I, I feel like I looked it up, but I don't remember. And I have the Oscars pull, page, Wikipedia page. It's, pulled it's up, another one it. of our favorite, like, punching bags. Uh, let's see. Let's see. You're uh, going to, at the moment you see, I'll be like, uh-huh, I get it. What the fuck is it on this page? Oh, God. Oscars fan favorite. There we go. Army of the Dead? But who's it directed by, Rob? Well, Zack Snyder, of course. There we go. Isn't that the and movie you know where, that like, is? Tig Notaro was green-screened in or something? Yes. Wasn't there? Oh, my God. <laughs> that, but you know why that happened, right? It, it was, winning or Tignataro? Winning. Oh, okay. No, I don't know why. Because this is this is another like restore the the Snyderverse like group that oh, put their finger God. that put their finger on the scale. That's that's a like, good point. Yep. And so I'm like, so all of this is a goddamn sham. Like yes. it, it's always been a sham, but like it's definitively a sham. Like it's a sham both from like the fact that you have like oh god. A, a room full of bureaucrats making a decision on what the best movie of the year is. Mm-hmm. And then the one way that they've done it now, so the people, I can't put enough quotation marks around that word, <laughs> yeah. I'm not even going to try, is just a bunch of, like, a, a room full of angry nerds just putting their finger on the scale. Yeah. And I'm like, so, like, none of this matters. Like, like it never mattered, but now it definitively doesn't matter. To the point where, like, it should be discarded as a cultural, oh, God, byproduct of, of an era that no longer matters sure sure i'm with you i'm with you and that's and that's where I'm like i saw that and i'm like not that i ever expected malignant to win mm-hmm. but like it's that notion of like we gave it to like a like hack snyder nonsense like yeah. there's no there is yeah. no hack snyder diehard that would say this isn't even his top five best films Oh yeah, and he only, only he's only made what seven movies. <laughs> yeah, that's so, right. So like, and that's the thing that's so fascinating. Like we're like, it's like okay. Yeah, I, I would imagine that uh, the Owls of Gahul is better than Army of the Dead. That's the thing. Like it's it, it's just like we're giving it whatever. Like the Oscars yeah. are a joke, absolutely. But again, bringing this back to Will Smith, I think it just definitely proves that he's a bad person. Uh, like he is somebody that had a fantastic facade. And this was the final piece that crumbled. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Also, while we're on the topic of the Oscars, uh, I do want to say that uh, since we're in the year of Will Smith, we are also kind of in the year of Kenneth Branagh. He won Best Original Screenplay for Belfast. That, uh, that's absolutely, like, as somebody who needs to be – I did yep. not know that. Like, yep. I'm learning this in real time. Okay, okay. No. <laughs> like, like, in all honesty, like, when they handed him the Oscar, they should have, like, wheeled out, like, a giant little, like, maquette of him and been like, <laughs> don't you just hate when we reference this movie. <laughs> oh, that's so, good. Like, Rob, can we please – like, I, like we've, we've done it more than enough times in Cinemati's canon. You but want can we the clip again? The, yes, we have to <laughs> – which is definitely at this point it's on Rob's desktop that we reference it so much. Don't you just hate that song? I do have um, I have a um a folder in my cinema my like a subdirectory in my cinematis folder that's the admin folder that has like all the admin stuff like our 
theme song, like the stuff we use a lot, theme songs, passwords, you know, all the graphics that we use and stuff like that. And I've just been gathering clips I use a lot, like the I Am The Mandarin clip is in there. I'll just have to put that <laughs> clip in there because I know I'm going to use it again and again and again. Um, I'm also now looking up I, I, the last time Kenneth Branagh got a nomination because in his acceptance speech, he should have said, I haven't been nominated in the Coons age. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, 2012 was the last time he got an Oscar nomination, so I think that for fits. It was, for, it was for Thor. It was for directing uh, no, Thor. That would be... It was it for was, directing Thor. It was Best Supporting Actor for My Week with Marilyn. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I call shenanigans on that. Um, I also want to mention on the topic of the Oscars... Uh, that Best International Feature Film went to Drive My Car, which I have not seen yet, but it is based on a short story by Haruki Murakami, one of my favorite authors, so I will have to check that out, uh, which I was planning on. It's three hours long, which is why I haven't gotten to it, and I was planning on watching it on HBO Max, but then Zach and I no longer have HBO Max right now. Yeah. So Zach, we... <laughs> by the time you're listening to this, we might have signed back up for HBO Max. Yes, so I might There's have a to very do real a possibility. whenever I edit this. Yeah. And lastly, I wanted to mention, uh, which you might also be learning in real time, Zach, one I'm very happy about, an actual deserved win, I think, best costume design went to a great movie by the name of Cruella. So oh, Cruella God. has an Oscar, and that movie is fantastic. Oh, <laughs> oh God. A year and a half later. Oh, jeez. Uh, and I think, I think Dune won the most awards. Yeah, Dune won six. Uh, and they're all technical. Thank God. Oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the Oscars. Uh, they're a sham. They're a load of shit. Uh, I have no fucking idea what CODA is. I had never heard of that until I looked up the winners on Monday morning. Uh, and that's, uh, I think that's enough on the Oscars. Anything else about Will Smith? Oh, I mean, well, and I shouldn't even say anything else. We're going to be talking about it in this whole movie, right? I mean, among other oh, things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, early 2000s Will Smith. Uh, interesting, because like, he really kind of lost his like footing with Wild Wild West. And he wouldn't, yeah. what, really... He wouldn't really get his footing again until, what, Hitch a couple of years later? Yeah, yeah. So everybody in the cinema audience, tune in. Sometime in the future, as Zach and I were mulling about before we started recording, there might be a Will Smith series uh, where Zach will finally have to watch Hancock. Oh, <laughs> God. Oh, God. I think I, oh God, that was like the summer where Rob and I got to know each other was the summer sure. of 2008. Yep. Right? Yep. I remember that being a huge movie, just being like, I don't get it. It's a homeless Superman. How is this fun? <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, right. Well, then, Zach, would you like to finally get to uh, Men in yes. Black 2? Um, yes, we are devoting more time of our lives to a film series that practically nobody cares about. Yeah, what is up with our Men in Black discussions and the Men in Black 1 and 3 discussion? It's like, you know, multiple times we say, I guess we eventually have to get to the time travel in our time travel series. And now here we're like, <laughs> I guess we got to get to Men in Black 2 in our Men in Black 2 episode. <laughs> Goddamn Men in Black, man. Goddamn Will Smith. But to, uh, I guess to start off with Men in Black 2, if nobody remembers, back from our Men in Black 1 and 3 discussion, I think we both say something along the lines. I know I definitely do. This is my favorite of the trilogy. I love Men in Black 2. I love all the movies, but I think I love this one the most uh, because it is... Like, out of nowhere, it has some Wild Wild West vibes. It makes no fucking sense when you scrutinize it under any weight whatsoever. Um, And I absolutely love it. Would you agree? I think, actually, now that I'm remembering, 
because it wasn't too long ago that I edited that episode. I think you say, I, you say something along the lines of, maybe the reason I love Men in Black 2 is because it's the shortest. You pull my Jurassic <laughs> Park 3 thing out. Is that, so is this your favorite of the, well, I guess oh. I want to know, is this your favorite, and do you hate it as much as you hate the other movies, as we discussed back in March? This is, okay, this is, this is a classic Cinematis moment, like context. I think I've referenced the context of this a couple of times prior. Okay. Um. I I never cared for this film series. Yeah. Um. I remember being I don't want to say drag, but just kind of like being a willing, I don't want to say even hostage, just willing participant <laughs> to going to the movies in sure. two thousand two. Um. This is the legendary summer of like okay, Star Wars, Attack of the Clones, Spider Man, and I remember going to see this with my nephew, his mother, and my mother, and the most memorable part of this movie being. The Terminator 3 oh, yes. teaser trailer, yes. which was just literally T3, and it said Terminator 3. I don't even think there was a subtitle. And I've never <laughs> seen that trailer since, and I can still remember seeing that being like – it's like July – it's like summer 2003, and I'm like, I, I don't care. I'm like, I don't care. This movie could be the second coming of Christ. Yeah. More Terminator. Like, again, like I didn't know they were making a Terminator 3. Yeah, and then like – I rem- my immediate memory was like after we got out of the movie, like I enjoyed it as a uh, nine year old, mm-hmm. but my nephew, like he was being a oh god piss baby because like he was sitting there being upset because like his <laughs> stomach hurt, so like we had to go like whoever it was, he was being like again. I've never heard you. I don't think I've heard anybody say piss baby. You never heard that? Before? No, what is that? That's like that's like a, a a ball ball my mom or ball my wife. I've only heard it like one or two times. I think you know. <laughs> well, there you go. We're we're breaking new ground, folks. So yes. four plus years later, breaking new ground. Um. So no. So like he was being a little piss baby, and so like he I was like whatever. Um. Next memory was. I remember I actually – I think it got sold at a yard sale. But, like, I actually had the, like, rocket car from the end of the film as it transforms into that. Oh, okay. I had that um, kind of okay. It made noise. Um, and then I remember I really wanted the DVD. But because I think we've mentioned this before in stories. Like, my mother would refuse to buy me anything after Halloween because everything was a Christmas present. Sure. And I had to, like – oh, God. Like, I wanted to rewatch this movie so, so badly. And I remember it was one of the very rare instances where my mother, like, left the house on Thanksgiving for some reason. We were having Thanksgiving, but we went to Blockbuster and rented the DVD. (laughs) I don't know why we left the house, but we did. And we rented the DVD on Thanksgiving, which was like, oh, God, like a cardinal sin for my mother. We never did anything for holidays. We never left the house. And so, like, I remember that. And then I got the DVD for Christmas. Probably one of my like low key favorite movie posters of all times, of all time, of like Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, like yeah. sitting in like the chair with a giant gun, um, and it says like back in black. Yep, everybody um, check we- out the episode logo that I've already made that has that exact yeah. poster. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. But like weird that like the tackling was back in black, and they did not use ACDC. I don't think at all in the marketing. Oh yeah. Um, very very inexplicable. Like in retrospect. Um, but no, I always enjoyed this movie. Um, like for the longest time, I would always sit there, like quote some of the little worm sayings, like the worm guys. <laughs> um, I would sit there say like lock and load. Um, oh God, like I hadn't watched this movie in a while. Cause I think we, we might've touched upon it in the men in black, uh, previous discussion where like, I, I got the Blu-ray trilogy a few years ago cause it was like mm-hmm. a black Friday like deal, but I only watched the first one. And I hadn't watched a second one forever. And 
watching it for this recording, I was kind of, I wasn't nervous, but I'm like, I wonder, like, I remember enjoying it. So, like, I kind of went in being like, okay, like, I know I'm going to like this more than the first and third one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like, I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I did in previous years, for 20 years now. But no, like, I think it has some of the most irre- like, irreverent humor of the franchise. Oh, sure. Um, I would say most of the reasons why people dislike this movie is why I love it. Um, even the weird, like, quasi-Beetlejuice, like, gag with the little, like, critters in the locker where, like, like adult-only adult section in the back and they start flocking to it. Oh, my which God. Which is weirdly re- reminiscent of the Beetlejuice thing. Be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like, like, like even that, or, like, they're, they're, like and even um, some even lowest common denominator moments with, like, uh, Frank the Pug, like, singing in the passenger seat, like out the window, which was a huge, huge trailer and like commercial oh, spot back yeah. in 2002. And even that is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like there's something at least when it comes to the cinematis part of my brain that is refreshingly charming about this. I, I agree. I love, I fucking love this movie. Like I said, but I'm the one who loves the whole franchise, but this one, especially, uh, I think, you know, watching it again for this recording and even, you know, back, uh, when I watched it for the when I watched all three Men in Blacks, you know, for the the first time we we talked it back in uh, time travel series, um, I'm just like, man, this is you know such a, a wild wild west vibes, especially after rewatching that. This is like perfect. This movie specifically is perfect for this podcast. Um, now I know, so you just gave your context. I know I gave my context for this movie back in uh, in March when we discussed the first and the third, but now we can really dive into it. I saw this in theaters. When I was nine as well, so Zach and I are very similar in age. Um, His birthday is not Ben Affleck's, though, so, you know. (laughs) Uh, Zach's birthday, not to blow up your spot, Zach, is the day Princess Diana died, though, so, you know. (laughs) It it is. We take what we can get. But I saw this movie in theaters uh, with my mother and my grandmother. I absolutely loved it. I think I watched it a bunch. However, we had it on home video. My grandma probably had it on VHS or DVD, whatever the hell. Um, But... The thing that has always stuck with me, and I said it back in that Ossess Gun, I'll get to it here. Lara Flynn Boyle in this movie was very formative for a young girl. <laughs> uh, and even rewatching it, I'm still just like, God damn, I love Lara Flynn Boyle. It's very, don't get me wrong, it's very different, you know, in time, you know, and in performance from her as Donna Hayward in Twin Peaks. But I also love her as Donna Hayward in Twin Peaks. I think she is a fantastically beautiful person and this movie of course plays that up like crazy now i also wanted while we're on the topic of lara flynn boyle i have to say that upon rewatching this for this discussion i this probably for people in our age group you know when if they saw this when they were nine ten even a little bit older you know in this movie lara flynn boyle is in lingerie the entire time uh she eats a man which had to inspire some people's vor fetishes as as they got older. And she also licks Tommy Lee Jones' ear, and her tongue turns into a tentacle, and it goes way up in there. Um, so I have to say, I never developed a vor fetish. Sorry, Zach, just pop your bubble if you're... Or Cinemodities, if you had on a bingo card, Rob likes vor. I don't. That's a very thing I'm just not interested in. But man, when I rewatch this, that that tentacle going into Tommy Lee Jones' ear, I'm like, ooh, that's that's doing something to me. <laughs> I love Lara Flynn Boyle, and I have to say, Zach, because if we ever do get to it, I feel like you would be like, I abstain from this. It is a sin that she does not come back for Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. That they have that other fucking person 
in playing Donna Hayward in that movie. I am oh, I will be forever upset that she is not Donna Hayward in the Twin Peaks movie. But what do you think about Lara Flynn Boyle, Zach, in general, and her in this movie? I mean, I have to say, while she is so beautiful, she really doesn't have a lot to do in this film. <laughs> no, she just kind of walks around. Yes. Um, she has some pretty fun moments, though. Um, even at the very beginning where we sit there, see her. Um, is Zerlina like a giant, like what, like plant creature? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, a bowl of uh, noodles, I think I said in the Men in Black 1 yeah. and 3 discussion. Yep. Um, no, she has a like, she has a couple of fun moments. Like her delivery is pretty good. She doesn't she's not given a lot to do, but her delivery is fun. Um, I, I, she's like I said, I kind of knew every moment from this movie because I'd watched it enough. Yeah, her career is weird. Like she kind of disappears. Like, like as an actress, she kind of goes underground. I I, I don't know. Okay. Like it's it's it's. I really don't have a lot to say about Lara Flynn Boyle. Like I always think of her from this movie. Like, that's just because it was the first time I ever saw her. Um, I kind of get her weirdly confused at times with um, Shannon Doherty and Elizabeth Hurley. I don't know why, but sometimes I do. Um, That's just my own little quirk. But no, I really, like I said, like, like probably my favorite moment of hers in this is the moment where she's like at what men in black customs and it's like you got do you bring any fruits or vegetables with you she's like she looks over to johnny knoxville oh, yeah. and she's like yeah two heads of cabbage and she's like <laughs> eating like a big mac and her kind of whole gag in this is that she's just constantly eating yep um no like i said she's i think she's doing exactly what she needs to do i think she's not over the top um she's not what's his name um oh god vincent d'onofrio really really like hamming it up yeah, chewing the yeah. scenery she's also not oh god like a black like, she feels more of a character than what boris the animal yeah i would i would give you that i think she has less to do in this movie but somehow you feel her presence as the villain more than exactly black there, there's more yeah. of a presence here um because it's fe- like i said yeah. she's 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 acting like which is something we don't get in movies anymore <laughs> um we, we we get the illusion of acting we yeah. don't get acting <laughs> that's yeah no she's i think she's doing you wish there was a little bit more of her but i think she's used just enough that you're not bored of her i i would agree and uh she's also fantastic um do you know i i I, we're gonna we're sticking to the larifun boyle right now do you know i'm realizing in the moment right now i don't think i know or looked it up once and forgot do you know why she isn't in twin peaks the return I, I do not know. Huh. Because they get the fucking, they get doctor, her father, Dr. Hayward, back for that one scene where he's on a Skype call with Robert Forrester. Um, and they even bring the um, the sister. I don't know. Her, I don't remember her little sister's name. With her and Caleb Landry Jones. I wonder. I'll have to do a correction whenever I edit this in the, in the far future. Hey, kids. Lara Flynn Boyle was approached for Twin Peaks The Return, but there's no known reason as to why she turned it down. Who knows how they would have used Donna Hayward? But I do know that in Mark Frost's The Final Dossier, she is living on the absolute other side of the country uh, after the events of the original two series. But the other reason I wanted to pick your brain on Lara Flynn Boyle's performance in this movie is because, of course, I have to bring it up whenever it it, it, uh, plays a role in our topic of discussion— she got a Razzie nomination for Worst Supporting Actress for this movie. Of course, she loses to Madonna in Die Another Day. I forgot about that performance just in general. Um, but she's up against the other nominees that lost to Madonna were uh, Bo Derek in The Master of Disguise, which is a like a five-second performance. Not even five seconds, like five frames. 
Natalie Portman in Attack of the Clones, of course, because the Razzies, you know, had a hard-on for shitting on Star Wars forever. Uh, Rebecca Romaine in Rollerball, a movie I completely forgot about. Uh, those are the other nominees. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. I think we might know replace the Born Identity in uh, Ro- okay, we, Rollerball. By the, time, by the time you're hearing this, we might have re-recorded this discussion, but I forgot about Rollerball. Because that's Chris Klein, too. right? I think so. I've never, I've never seen it. I think I've seen the original Rollerball, but not the I've seen the poster. I've seen okay. the poster of the Rollerball. <laughs> I've never seen anything from the film, though. Sure, sure. Uh, but 2002 Razzies are also the year that, uh, of course, where screenplay goes to Attack of the Clones, something that, Zach, we discussed a few episodes ago. Of course, Zach remembers yes, that. Yes, some very um, insightful opinions were made in that yes. discussion. Nothing and, derivative and or winner, nonsensical. Of course. And the winner of Worst Picture is God. Guy Ritchie's Swept Away, the remake of the Italian film Swept Away, which is basically him uh, putting Madonna in a movie because they were married at that point. Um, of Something we will have to cut. Co- I know Ben and I forever have been like, oh, we got to do Guy Ritchie movies. And I'm always like, we have to do Swept Away. And Ben's like, I have no fucking idea what that is. And I'm like, it's it's him just like he basically made a two hour movie that said, hey, everybody, look, I'm married to Madonna. Um, and we'd have to pair it with the original. The original Italian Swept Away is really good. And it's more about like the fact that even in times of crisis when political parties work together, they will still hate each other after. After things have blown over. It's a very interesting movie. But that was our little tangent into the Razzies. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about Serlina and Lara Flynn Boyle. I just want to bring up once again, I also, like I said about Men in Black 1, I don't really like Serlina's final form, the bowl of noodles, you know? It's not that interesting to me. Um, but I, I like your, I like D'Onofrio better when he's at looks like D'Onofrio, and I like Lara Flynn Boyle better when it looks like Lara Flynn Boyle. So with that out of the way, because I had to talk about Lara Flynn Boyle and her tentacling Tommy Lee Jones ear because that that was definitely a moment for me um where do we want to go next Zach I mean we have there's a lot of things in this movie maybe maybe the big one which I wanted to pick your brain on because I know this movie gets a lot of hate in the years ever since you know what um Men in Black 3 I know Men in Black 3 when it came out I think we talked about a little bit people are like oh this is a step up from the second one and I'm always like oh I like the second one but people have a lot of distaste for it and when I was preparing for this recording and doing my notes I think the distaste comes from the fact that Nobody really likes that it undoes the ending of the first one, so the de-neuralization aspect. And I also don't think they like the fact that this movie is basically a scavenger hunt for two-thirds of it. What do you think about the distaste for this movie, uh, and do you like those aspects that I've mentioned? The undoing of Tommy Lee Jones, and I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll get to the finer details later, but what do you think just about that? Uh, those ideas in this movie? Um, no, this is the most derided of the films, with the exception yeah. of Men in Black International. Uh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> no, nobody does. <laughs> nobody watched that movie. Um, no, and, and, and that's the thing. But I think what happened to Men in Black 2, um, I, can't, I can't really say what happened to 2002 because I really didn't know. Like this thing made money and didn't make as much money as the first one did. Um, 2002 being a kind of crowded summer, especially because this is what July of 2002. Yeah. Um, so th- there was stuff around it. So it, and plus it was, it was kind of rinse, lather, repeat. Like it, it didn't really reinvent the franchise or yeah. try to really do anything. Um, I think this is one of those movies that became probably the easiest way to describe it was like the antithetical Shrek. Like, like the Cinemati's antithetical Shrek in that, like, it just became, like, I think I don't think a lot of people knew what to make of this movie 
Um, so they just latched on to the person that was the loudest in the room. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with so you. So like, imagine it's kind of those things where like it's like new, like it's almost like a version of New Coke, where it's like New Coke comes out and it's like it's not the worst thing in the world though. It's just that one person was just beating the drum really, really hard against it. And just it's just easier. It's easier to like not have an opinion on something than somebody asks just mirror the loudest one in the room. Sure. Um, and I think that's what happened in Men in Black too. And also, it's a dormant franchise for a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third one has it's more tonally similar to the first one. So then it's just easier to say, yeah, fuck that second movie. It's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and plus, even in my own research for this, it seemed like a nice portion of the movie was reshot. It fe- like the la- the third act completely once Tommy Lee Jones is denuralized becomes a different movie. Yep, yep. And based on what I read, there was oddly enough an entire sequence with Nino with the World Trade Center. <laughs> I, one of us um, was going to have to bring it up. I know that the, everybody oh, listening to this knew that this was going to happen. From what I found, apparently there was a whole ending where like the twin towers were supposed to be like up. A thing in it, you know, yeah. like whether or not I, I found some conflicting reports. Like the basic thing I found is that they were going to be involved either, and the, here's where it gets a little wonky. Either as a backdrop that they had to reshoot to get out of it, either as an actual thing where it was going to be instead of the Statue of Liberty neuralizing all of New York, it was going to have something to do with the Twin Towers. I even read one source that was saying something like the top of one of the towers was going to open up and a bunch of spaceships yeah. were going to fly out and shit like yep. that. But of course, well, we get is, none of this. <laughs> well, this is the thing though. So like I. I, again, I'd only ever watch this movie on DVD, mm-hmm. so at best 480p resolution. And so, like, I did this research about, like, because I found some really, again, like, the only articles referencing this are, are articles from, like, 2002. Like, a bunch of, like, forums and, like, okay. oh, God, stuff like that. So, like, I'm like, I just, like, I'm like, I've never heard this before. I'm like, how on earth is this flown under the radar? And then, as I'm watching the movie... We get the shot of like the the Mercedes going into like light speed mode, and we see them go into like what the Lincoln Tunnel or mm-hmm. whatever it is. I don't know what it is, and it says on the the direction board the green and white World Trade Center. Yep, yep. <laughs> and I'm like, there it is. Like clearly, this was the climax. And they had – well, this is what, like an 80-minute long movie. This is by no means a long movie. Yeah. And even has the weird kind of like tacked on epilogue clearly there was a different ending like there's really no concrete evidence i don't think anybody's really looking for it because nobody cares yeah yeah um but i think it's so kind of oh god passively evident that there was clearly a third act here that they had to reshoot oh yeah yeah it definitely seems that way or if it didn't have to be reshot was they were kind of like an animatics form and they had to hastily think of something in like winter of 2001. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. Yep. Yep. I'm with so, you. Uh, it is yeah, very interesting so, though that you can read about that, of course. Uh, and yeah. uh, we, we love our, we love our nine 11. I'll just go ahead and say it. <laughs> oh, Define man. six months of the podcast. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. I just found one of my notes. I wrote down in a bullet point. Oh God. Lara Flynn Boyle is so fucking hot. <laughs> okay um so i mean you know other things i i feel like the big things that i want to talk about with this movie uh there's one that i've been waiting for we'll we'll get to that in a second but i i think we need to devote some time 
to the David Cross portion of this movie. Oh, oh. That, delightful. That is where uh, something I did not... I remember that it happened. I remembered because I know we've talked about it before. I, I'm pretty sure at least once on, on Cinematics, I pulled the clip for it because we've referenced it. Take her to Cambodia, get her a lobster dinner, spend more than a dollar. <laughs> like, that has always stuck with me. But man, I had forgotten how absolutely fucking bonkers the entire video store sequences with David Cross and his girlfriend. And let's just fucking get into it, Zach. I mean, where do we start? We Do we start with the the scene transitions from the video store to then all of, like, Tommy Lee Jones, Will Smith, David Cross, and his girlfriend in his, like, attic apartment or attic room of his mother's house. And it just, like, cuts to that. And what, we hear the mother saying something like, oh, do you, uh, mom up here with friends, do you want some mini pizzas? And the girlfriend just goes, I want to have your baby. <laughs> like, it is out of nowhere, right? I'm not misremembering any of this. No, no. I, I, Rob hasn't already inserted the clip. He, he certainly will by now. Yes. No, no, is that you? Yes, mom, I'm up here with some friends. I want to have your baby. Would you like some mini pizza? You guys want some mini pizzas? They're good. They're like mini bagels with pizza stuff on them. She'll put a little fontina cheese on. You know, she has palsy, so she ends up putting a lot of cheese on. No thanks, we're cool. Over here. This is it. Hmm, finally some hard evidence. Yes. Gentlemen, before I play the tape, one question. What's up with anal probing? I mean, aliens travel billions of light years just to check out our- Boy, move. Okay, just a question. No, like, it is, like, it's a, it's a perfect non sequitur. Yes. Like, it is, like, Cinemati's grade A non sequitur. <laughs> um, oh, it's beautiful. Like, it is nothing short of, like, like amazing. Um, then we have David Cross, again, not to step on Rob's toes, explain, like, what a, like, what a, a pizza bagel is, essentially. <laughs> yeah. The fucking line when he's, like, he's explaining, he's like, you know, you get a... Like, it's a little mini bagel. You put, like, pizza toppings on it, like sauce, cheese, pepperoni. My mom makes them, but she has palsy, so she ends up putting a lot of cheese on. <laughs> and I'm watching this, and I'm like, oh, my God. I, like, I I wouldn't, I don't think I would have gotten all of this when I was a kid, but now that I'm watching it under this this lens of, of, of being older, and cinematics especially, I'm like, this is fucking immaculate, you know? And isn't it even when they, they put on the um the Peter Graves, what, mysteries, the Unsolved Mysteries ripoff thing, he's, like, mouthing the words to it or something like that. <laughs> and then the fucking, the, like, the, the end of that scene, of course, when they get neuralized and Will Smith does the whole thing, take her to Cambodia, get her a lobster dinner, spend more than a dollar. And then they leave. The scene ends with David Cross picking up a shovel okay yes please you have to describe this just perfectly (laughs) so what happens is that like they like like while will smith is like giving them the talk like rob said like like take her to cambodia buy her a lobster dinner spend more than a dollar in the like below we have tommy lee jones neuralizing the mother um then like they both like like will smith like leaves the scene we have david cross and his girlfriend and like they both like kind of like shake off like the, the funk that they were in and so, like, David Cross turns around to the girlfriend and says, 
you want to go to Cambodia? And she's like, yeah. And then, like, when you see David Gross pick something up off the floor, he's been sitting on the couch for the last, like, what, like two, three minutes. Yep, yep. It's a shovel. Mm-hmm. Like Rob said, they're mm-hmm. in an attic, and inexplicably he has a shovel. Just at his goes, feet. Just laying at yeah. his feet. <laughs> yes, but it's, at, but it's out of frame, though. We don't yep. know what he did until he picks up and he goes, hey, Mom. Hey, Mom. <laughs> yeah. And then we cut to, like, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones continuing the search for the MacGuffin. Yep, yep. And, and, and it's just like, what is happening? Are you one of Newton's friends from group therapy? Oh, yes, ma'am, I am. Will you look here, please? Would you like some mini pizza? I know I'm right. Okay. First, get some contact lenses. Because joints look like they can pick up cable. Second, take her to Cambodia, get her a lobster dinner pay more than a dollar. Third, the second y'all get back from Cambodia, move your bum ass out of your mom's house. Let's go, bud. Boy, you like 40 years old. You... Agent Jane? Uh, all right, all right. Oh, and uh, there ain't no such thing as aliens or men in black. You want to go to Cambodia? Yeah. Hey, Mom. Like, we go from, like, the non-sequitur of, like, I want to have your babies to, like, yeah, my mom makes these little mini pizza bagels. Like, she sits there, like, takes these bagels, puts pizza toppings on them. She puts a little oregano, but because she has balls, she sits a lot of oregano. And it's like, what the hell? It's like, it's where did this amazing. come from? It is. And, we, and we, it's punctuated with the shuffle joke, yep. which, like, is so dark and just out of nowhere for, like, the tone of the movie. But it's like more please it's like like i I want more of this like like this is perfect i think i can say with complete confidence that because i did the i'm captain larry bridgewater at the start of the this episode for my quote and not the i want to have your baby the precedent has been set i know in the four-year extravaganza episode in your performance review zach i say the money doesn't matter i just want to suck your cock i'm gonna want to have your baby in the five-year anniversary (laughs) it seems (laughs) Dude, I, I honestly, when rewatching this for this recording, um, I it like hit me like a ton of fucking bricks when she just drops that. Like I was like, oh my god, you know, I totally forgot about it. It's amazing. I oh god, the, the whole segment clip will be in here, you know, maybe not together, oh, yeah. but it'll be in, interspersed through this part of it. <laughs> Doesn't even when Tommy Lee Jones goes down to neuralize the mom, don't we hear the mom say something like, "Do you want a pizza bagel or something like that?" Yeah. <laughs> fucking love it like it's it, it, it's 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 so unrepresentative of the film yeah absolutely and i think that's why it's so amusing it's like it's so out of sorts for everything else that comes before and after it yes yes no i i do agree with you there it is out of place but it is in the same vein maybe the slight connection where they where they go is something i wanted to bring up which i already mentioned how many things in this movie just don't make sense? Like, the nonsensical aspect. One of the things that I definitely picked up on on rewatching this, it makes no sense that Lara Flynn Boyle as the little, or Selena, I should say, as the little tiny worm, slithers on the ground, goes up to a magazine, sees Lara Flynn Boyle as, like, the centerfold or whatever, morphs into Lara Flynn Boyle, and immediately a mugger is there to attack her. The <laughs> mugger had to have seen a woman seemingly just pop out of nowhere and say, I'm going to lick her face and try and mug her. Like, it is 
It is. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Of course, like, there's no way the mugger did not see or was looking the wrong way and then just turned around, happened to see her the moment she formed or something like that. Also on the same vein, uh, how how long, I don't remember what the movie says, but the time between Tommy Lee Jones neuralizes himself or right before he neuralizes himself to forget the light of Zartha stuff, he seemingly put a Grand Central Station key on a hook on a New York City pizza place wall. And all those years later, that key is still there. No fucking way in hell a homeless person would have stolen that the moment they saw Tommy Lee Jones put it on the wall back in the 80s or whatever the fuck that was supposed to happen. So, Zach, none of this makes sense. (laughs) No, no, none of it makes sense. Even, like, we get these weird flashbacks to, like, Oh God! What was it? Uh, what What is the light of Z- the yes. Zothar- Zothurians, whatever they're called? Yeah, Zothura. Yeah. Zothura. Um, yeah, isn't Tim Robinson Zothura? <laughs> and uh, Kristen Stewart. Um, Ooh. <laughs> um, Let's do that. The no. Tim Robbins and Kristen Stewart series. <laughs> um, no, it's like, like you have you have that, and like you have those weird flashbacks. Like as it, like, we we get two. Oh God. Uns- faux like unsolved mysteries esque like like reenactments yeah, of this. Yeah, yeah. Then we get like an actual flashback, and it's weirdly like just as goofy but played straight. Yep, yep, absolutely. I, like I said, I honestly think this is a movie that was like like probably one of the earliest of like. 20th century blockbusters are being reshot into oblivion. Okay. Because like nothing in this movie makes sense. Like I know in the men in black one and three discussion, Rob's like, Oh, I'm going to talk about why morgue lady did not come back for this. You better believe and, like, I'm I ready. Into it, and there's like three or four different stories that all conflict with each other. <laughs> yes. as to why she didn't come back. I love it. <laughs> exactly. And I honestly think this is like one of those things where like everybody just wanted like a home run. Oh, of course. And, and, and like it was like the definition of a safe home run, and mm-hmm. and that's why I was like, it's gonna make money regardless. Just like talking animals, like people like that, and that's why like Frank the Pug was like this cent. Oh God, the cornerstone of the marketing. Yep. Because yep. like talking animals, like little did they know the internet would be coming in a few years, <laughs> but like. Like that's what it was, and I think nothing else mattered because there is like I think that's why people kind of really lashed out at this film, is that there is no plot. I I would agree, and I I think that there's no plot, and I think that goes with what I was saying earlier, that I think a lot of the disdain, or I saw a lot of the disdain, was for the fact that it is very much just collect quest slash scavenger hunt type of thing. And I think people back then, maybe, and definitely now from what I read, or the legacy of this movie, they're just like, that is so lame. Like, you know, that's just very contrived, and it's just a way to cram in jokes and stuff like that. But I have to say... I I love it. For some reason, when I was a kid, and maybe it's a nostalgia thing for me, like we talked about with Men in Black 1, I love the fact that we get this scavenger hunt type of thing going on. Like, I like the the whole idea of, you know, he has to de-neuralize Tommy Lee Jones, then they have to slowly, you know, find the clues, that it's the, um... The memento slash paycheck type thing all over again, you know? I, I'm i fine with that. <laughs> I think there's something so kind of like, again, it's quaint. Yeah. The fact that it's so stripped down, so bare bones, that like we don't get from Blockbuster Entertainment anymore. Definitely, definitely. It's and- not, it's a, it's a very, I don't want to say hollow movie, but like it is not dense. Oh yeah, not in a all. way that like <clears throat> it's not dense in a way that a Marvel film is dense. 
Yeah. In that, like, it's just, there's just shit on the screen. Sure, sure. Like, everything kind of is just there because it's just, like, we, like it's the bare minimum to, like, complete a f- shot. Yeah, and I think you said it best where, you know, it's almost like, I'm sure when they were making this, Barry Sonnenfeld, Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones, all of them, they were just like, oh, this is, like you said, a guaranteed home run. Like, people yeah. are gonna, it's the sequel to Men in Black. People are gonna see it, that type of thing. Yeah, and probably probably there's worse ways to sit to collect an eight-figure check. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Um, I And also, on the other thing that I know people hate um, is the, the whole them undoing Tommy Lee Jones getting neuralized. And I have no problem with that either because, like I said, with Men in Black 1, I love the chemistry between Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. It is a very, I think maybe now, I don't know, in 2002, it probably was a little bit, but now definitely, it they're just rehashing the first movie with the roles reversed. You know, now Will Smith knows everything about the Men in Black and he has to get Tommy Lee Jones to know every, or bring him back up to speed type of thing. Um, and I, I'm fine with all of that. I have no fucking problem, which is one thing I heard people like read people online saying they're like well what it's like tommy lee jones doesn't have the wife that he went and married at the end of the first movie it's just like it's just thrown away with one line of dialogue and i'm like yeah i'm fine with that what do you want you want him to talk about his love life more no fuck that just get him back in the suit type of thing um i and i also have to say i love the entirety of the post office sequence oh i love tommy lee jones yelling at barry sonnenfeld's daughter about the stamps um that little girl is barry sonnenfeld's daughter i love the whole sequence where will smith pulls out a fucking alien pokedex and knows that everybody in the post office is an alien fucking the the beatboxing alien is biz marquee who ben and i have talked about on the adventure time series on patreon because he plays uh snorlock the snail and stuff like that and i love biz marquee in general i love all that stuff tommy lee jones when he goes into he sees the alien who's fucking whipping all the um the mail like to sort it and tommy lee jones reaction is just to take the cigarette out of his mouth and go no smoking and the way he delivers it is very very good like that's a line that's always stuck with me like all the ones from the first movie and i don't get when people are like oh my god like this is so stupid um I know I read some people who say things like, oh, my God, you should have just had Serlina land, like, in the lawn of Tommy Lee Jones, and that's why they have to bring him back. And I'm like, it's fucking, it's different, like, just two different paths to the same end. Like, why is that better than the other one, you know, than him having knowledge about this case? I don't know. People are wrong, as always, Zach, and I love it. <laughs> love this movie, I, not I, love I, that again, people are wrong. <laughs> I, I swear to God this movie was reshot because that entire sequence in the post office is – has a certain level of whimsy to it that the rest of the film doesn't. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think that feels like, again, it, it's it's a weird moment that's out of place with everything else going on in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why the, like even the worms and their entire thing just feels weirdly tacked on. Yes. Um, like, they become weird protagonists, like, in the last, like, what, third of the movie? <laughs> yes. Not even third, last quarter of the movie. Yeah. Once you go worm, that's what you'll yearn. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't even then, like the joke where Will Smith is like, stay away from – God, I don't remember what Will Smith says, but I – for some reason I want to say stay away from Beezus. I know it's not Beezus, but I think of Ramona and Beezus when I think of alien names. And he's like, stay away from Beezus. Which one's Beezus? Uh, which one of you is Beezus? You know, that's like – Yo, mama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a, great. No, no, like I said, there, there's such – I think what – again, like we've talked about it like in the culture – and that, like, this is, like, one of those, like, irreverent, like, formative experiences yes. where it's, like, it, it's just so nonsensical and goofy. Um, it weirdly laid the foundation for, like, other things that would, like, build upon it. Yeah. For, like, 90s kids, as much as I hate that term. 
Absolutely. I mean, I love all the, like I said, all the, I, I don't know if there's anything I really dislike about this movie. I think if I had to pick out one thing, I don't like that we get the, um, the romance between uh, Will Smith and Rosario Dawson who I'm not the biggest fan of with short hair. I just want to say that. Uh, I, I think that I think I mentioned it in the, when we discussed the first movie. I like the fact that when um, you know, Will, Tommy Lee Jones is saying to Will Smith, he's like, yo, you, you should come work for the Men in Black, but you have to give up your entire life. And I love the fact that Will Smith just thinks about it, and boom, he's ready to go the next day. I love that there's no like, oh my God, do I have to give up my girlfriend or my family? I love that Will Smith has no emotional connection really to the world in the first movie. So I'm a little against it in this one where he's kind of like, you know, oh, but I don't want her to leave. And Tommy Lee Jones is like, well, if she stays on the planet, the planet's going to explode. And Will Smith is like, I guess she has to leave then, you know, that type of thing at the end of the movie. It's not even – but that's the thing, though. It's like it's not even that blatant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, like it's so like, – again, like it's not even a romance. Sure. It's like two yeah. people who are just kind of fascinated with each other. Yeah, the, you're right. The only thing that they you really have to do is – extrapolate romance it, out of it. Exactly. And the only thing that – the closest thing to them hitting on is that he doesn't neuralize her after getting her pie yeah. because he has you know some affection for her. But then I think that I'm even okay with that. Why I think this is like even not my biggest problem or a problem with the movie is because you know that romance, like you said, is very superficial, very surface level. And then the movie like kind of says, oh, no, it was good that she didn't get neuralized because she's such a big part of the plot anyway type of thing, mm-hmm. um, which I'm fine with. I'm fine with all that. I do want to talk about cameos in this movie. We have a plethora of cameos. But before we do that, since you set it up and I set it up, you know, however many fucking months ago, uh, we have to talk about why Linda Fiorentino is not in this movie. And yes, Zach, we're going to go through all the crazy stories people have said over the years. So something that I, I did not mention when we discussed the first movie, which I still say that, you know, Linda Fiorentino is, she's fine in the movie, but she has a wonderfully soothing voice. Something that I would be remiss if I did not bring up, uh, I do love Linda Fiorentino in uh, After Hours. My favorite Scorsese movie is Kiki Bridges. We will one day discuss that. Her voice isn't as soothing, but she's playing a very aggressive character. Another thing that I have to say about the first movie and Linda Fiorentino in it, something I did not know until doing the research for this episode, according to Linda Fiorentino, like from herself, she has gone on record saying that she got the part in the first Men in Black movie by beating Barry Sonnenfeld in a poker game. <laughs> I did not know that. Uh, yeah, neither did I, but I uh, had to get that in there. But okay, so we're going to play a game of which one do we want to believe why Linda Fiorentino's not in this movie. Let's do the easy ones first. Uh, according to Linda Fiorentino herself, she said she did not return due to scheduling conflicts. Uh, the only movie, though, that she had come out in 2002 was the direct-to-video film Liberty Stand Still with Wesley Snipes. I don't know, maybe that was a sordid long production? Who knows? So that's that's one angle is why she's not in this. Producer Lori McDonald says that she didn't return because her part in the script was so small that they ended up cutting it, and they just threw in the line of dialogue that she went back to the morgue, or Will Smith neuralized her and went, she went back to the morgue. But now, the one that I was familiar with, that I uh, I think I set up in our first Men in Black discussion uh, is that the the long-standing rumor of that both... I knew it as both Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, but when I was looking into it more, apparently it was just Tommy Lee Jones, but who knows? This is all rumor. They both said their specific stipulation to come back for a Men in Black sequel was that Linda Fiorentino was not involved whatsoever. Is that the story that you're familiar with, Zach? Is that the one you've heard before? 
I've heard that. Okay. I have heard that apparently, like, nobody liked her. It was one of those where uh, it was, what, Lucy Liu and Bill Murray yes. all over again. Yes, and of course, as they say, uh, not about, not just about Linda Fiorentino, but I feel like it's the label of women in Hollywood. They get they get put as incredibly difficult to work with. And I even yes. found a quote that's, one of the articles said, uh, because of her turbulent personality. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, that's the one I was always familiar with. I think that is a little outlandish as I thought about it a little more critically, you know, pre- preparing for this recording. I mean, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, they knew that Men in Black 2 was going to be a paycheck. Like you said earlier, everybody was like, oh, this is going to be a Grand Slam, you know, home run blockbuster. It's going to make a ton of money. I find it so weird that they would be like, oh, no, we will not do that. We will not make all this money unless she has nothing to do with it. I find that a little far-fetched, but... To to add to this, um, you know, maybe, and I also think this might have to, we have to add this. Of course, we know the IMDb trivia fa- trivia page is the bastion of truth um, in, in web page form. I think we should start adding with how many times we reference his weird stories. Um, the bastion of truth as a per- person should be Kevin Smith. I feel like we talked about oh. how, who knows? Oh, he's in this now? Yes. So. I, didn't, I didn't hear this. Okay, so this is news. Okay, folks, yeah. we, I am learning this along with you as Rob <laughs> yeah. tells this story. So, so um Apparently, it, uh, while, you know, Tommy Lee Jones, Will Smith, they've never ever, uh, Barry Sonnenfeld too, they've never gone on record saying anything negative about Linda Fiorentino. Um, Kevin Smith has done exactly that because Kevin Smith likes to talk, as, as we know. Um, and this was in relation to her part in Dogma. And I believe she's a main, I think she's like the female lead in Dogma. I haven't seen Dogma in so long. Um, she's the one who's going to give birth to the devil or God or whatever the hell fucking dogma's about. Um, but I have some quotes from Kevin Smith regarding Linda Fiorentino that I want to read. Um, I'll get this first one out of the way uh, because it's a little longer, but I find it wildly interesting. So this is how he starts the quote. The biggest pain in the ass I ever worked with, Linda Fiorentino. <laughs> when we were making Dogma, the cast was working in a favored nations type of affair where everyone was getting paid the same scale which is the minimum wage for the movie business and we were all trapped out in pittsburgh shooting this movie which is the middle of nowhere so whenever people had a few days off they would ask if they could go to new york or back to los angeles or elsewhere i always said sure because why would i want to make anybody sit in pittsburgh if they've got something else to do the quote continues but quick interjection pittsburgh is not that bad (laughs) and i also know why he says it's in the middle of nowhere there's a lot to do in and around pittsburgh so kevin smith Get out of here. But he goes, continues on to say, Linda, on the other hand, had to work every day on the movie because she was in every scene. So she never really got to leave, and she got irritated when cast members would go elsewhere. She got really angry about that and asked me to do something about it. And I said, what am I supposed to do? I mean, they want to go away, and they're not working, so that's fine. And one day she stopped talking to me for a whole day because she was so irritated by the fact that other people got to leave the set. That was kind of weird. The weirdest experience I had making a movie. Uh, this quote does come before Cop Out and his Bruce Willis shenanigans, which I would as- imagine he now says is the weirdest experience he had making a movie. Um, so there we go. He had that to say about Linda Fiorentino, that uh, she was just angry with him uh, about that and wouldn't talk to him. And, you know, that, that seems like some petty bullshit. But in another quote uh, regarding her time on Dogma, a little more uh, specific... Uh, She saw the poster and went nuts. 
They put her head on another body because she never did a photo shoot. The body had more cleavage than she has, and she was pissed, pissed that nobody approved it with her, so she refused to do any more press. It's not like we were hinging on all that Fiorentino press. I fought to cast that woman in the movie. So apparently she never did photo shoots, according to Kevin Smith, and then got angry when they had to like use her in marketing. And then lastly, I think the most scathing one about it... Uh, Kevin Smith said, Linda created crisis and trauma and anguish. She created drama while we were making a comedy. She was ticked off that there were other people in the movie who were more famous than she was. <laughs> so I don't know what we want to believe. I, I, from, from Fiorentino herself, she said scheduling conflicts, but she fucking was doing nothing else in Men in Black uh, in 2002, and why wouldn't you come back for Men in Black 2? I, like I said, I think there's some issues with the whole, like, the stars of the movie stipulating that she has no involvement. Um, I kinda see the, the producer Laurie McDonald one that, you know, she was just in such a small part, they didn't really have a big part for her, so they ended up just cutting her out and put the line of dialogue. I don't know, Zach, what do you think? What's your takeaway on this? Um, I, Kevin Smith thing I never heard before. The other stories I kind of heard an amalgamation mm-hmm. of, like we said, the most likely one being like she didn't get along with anybody. Yeah. Um, and that kind of is corroborated by the Kevin Smith stuff, but we also know Kevin Smith kind of just like likes to talk for the sake of hearing himself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. So I don't know. It's possible. Um. I don't think anybody. I don't think anyone's favorite. Oh God. I don't think anyone's favorite part of that first film is her. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, she's not. She's my favorite voice performance in the first movie, but, you know, she's not like, you know... I mean, we haven't talked about it back in that episode where it's it, uh, her scenes, you know, she becomes the damsel in distress and her scenes with Will Smith getting horny for no reason kind of don't fit with the rest of the movie type of thing. Yeah. Um, really, her only good moment at the very end where she shoots uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, oh, yeah. Alien. Yeah. Like, like, really, like, considering they threw the Tommy Lee Jones, like, wife, like, thing under the bus as a plot point... Why would you not throw her under the bus considering that, like, okay, if yeah. she was difficult and on top of that, her she really had no role in the film, why wouldn't you just discard her as a character entirely? Yeah, exactly. I'm, Tell I'm me a little you. bit of everything more than anything specific. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, you're probably right that, you know, there's probably all these bits and pieces of everything we mentioned that come together to form the real reason, but everybody picks one they like and blows it out of proportion and stuff like that. I should rewatch. Do- I don't know if I should rewatch Dogma actually. <laughs> but Rob, who is in Dogma? What actor? Oh Ben Ben Affleck. Is that who you're thinking of? Isn't Isn't Chris Rock in Dogma? I think he is. That's true. I think he might be in Dogma. <laughs> it's been. I haven't seen Dogma in so goddamn long. Full circle. <laughs> Full circle. Yes. Um, uh, what do I want you to take out of your mouth? <laughs> Uh, my wife's name. <laughs> oh God, we're gonna be referencing that forever. Just, uh, somehow we have to kiss, connect GI Jane to all this, and it would be like the trifecta. Yeah, yeah. I also like that we're gonna be referencing this in episodes that are coming. Many episodes that are coming out well before this one. <laughs> Turnstiles, baby. Yes, that's the world we live in. Turnstiles in the primer box. So. Now that we've talked about the people who are not in this movie, let's talk about the cameos that we do get in the movie. There's a small one, Zach, that I don't even think you'd call a cameo. It's basically just they needed an extra, a glorified extra almost. But of course, it popped out to me immediately. At the end of the opening of the movie, after Will Smith has bested Jeff the Worm in the subway, and Will Smith leaves the subway station as he comes up the stairs, there are two New Yorkers that, you know, Will Smith says, oh, the subway's closed. And one of them says something like, 
you know, oh, they scoff at him and walk away, and they're like, oh, that blah, whatever. The guy speaks. He says something like, oh, geez, this city, or something like very small like that. That guy is Lenny Venito, who is the dude Al Pacino shoots in the head in Gili. <laughs> oh, okay. So we have a Gili connection. Now, I didn't mention it when we discussed Men in Black 3, but Lenny Venito also plays the guy with the removable head that they bowl with, but it looks nothing like him because he's all CGI goop, you know, that type of thing. Sure. But Lenny Venito is in Men in Black 2 and 3, and uh, we get that Gili connection. Here's a cameo I totally forgot about, and I was seemingly completely of the era nick cannon <laughs> yeah nick cannon who's like please don't neuro like there's also okay not to get too far away from cameos real quick in sure. nick cannon sure because he's hilarious um <laughs> but like there's entire subplot in this about like how k i'm sorry jay just like neuralizes all of his partners yep yep and like jay can't get along with anybody mm-hmm. and then that just disappears after what the first third yeah absolutely another absolutely. subplot it just disappears yeah, and that was that was a subplot that disappears, and also, I don't, I mean, I get it in the context of the movie, like, when it starts, you have the thing where he's like, oh my god, none of my partners are as good as K, that type of thing, and so he's always like, oh my god, I have to neuralize these partners because they're just not as good, but then we get the line drop from, uh, about him, you know, neuralizing Linda Fiorentino, and he says something like, oh, well, she wanted to go back to the morgue and be neuralized, and it's like, well, that's different from her not being a good partner, and then also the movie like I think implicitly is saying because of that subplot that it's like the start of this was all him neuralizing K, but K wanted to be neuralized. Like that's part of the glory of the ending of that first movie is where he's like, listen, you're now my replacement that I've been following since you were a child, but you don't know that yet. You know, wait 15 years to figure that one out. Um, and I want to be neuralized because I found someone who now, you know, understands this job. So I don't know that that didn't sit with me, but you're right. It just disappears at a certain point in the movie and it becomes non, it doesn't mean anything. Well, again, I think that's absolutely, a, a, a unintentional theme of this is just like plot points are just kind of picked up, let go. Yes. Picked up, let go. And yeah, again, another one of these famous instances of show me a shooting script. Like show me if there <laughs> yeah. was one, what it was. Because even like the beginning, like the whole thing with Patrick Warburton. The, uh, yep, that, that's, like a great, that's the next around. cameo I wanted to mention. So great transition. You know? <laughs> and then like you have like what Jeff, the the space slug in, in the subway system mm-hmm. that just shows up at the end of the movie for like a grand total of what, a minute? Yeah. Like, like Zerlina flies into him. She And he, she's like, oh shit. And like eats her in the spaceship. Mm-hmm. And then next thing we know, Jeff is like jumping somehow from the subway through the skyscraper <laughs> to attack them only to explode in Zerlina. Yep. And it's like, what? I'm like, like, wh- why is any of this happening? Like, why not just, ha- like, we already see Zerlina as the giant, like, bug, or not bug, plant creature. Yep. Why not just have, like, it, it doesn't make sense. Absolutely. And it also makes no sense that at the start of the movie, before Will Smith is, like, riding Jeff in the subway system, it does, like, come out of the ground when Patrick Warburton is, like, roughhousing its flower and we see no fucking note any indication that they neuralized anybody after that first appearance of jeff we only see them neuralize the people in the fucking subway system at the after jeff has been you know he's will smith is like i'm gonna blow you up or whatever the hell it is another thing that makes no sense in this movie well even that it's like okay like we have this sequence of him riding jeff in the subway and he's trying to like tranquilize them yeah and like, like we had this, it's a cute little action sequence. Like he's trying not to get hit in the head by like all the things. Sure. 
And then like he gets thrust like into the thing, and it's a fun moment where he's like, "I'm good." He's like, he has some fake badge on him, yes. and he's like, "Hi, health department. I need you all to move to the next train car over." Yep, yep. And it's like, like, and obviously Jeff starts biting everybody. Runs. Oh no, no! A black man come flying through the cab of the subway. No, you can sit down. <laughs> and like I said, that's that's classic oh, yeah. Will Smith, like just like banter. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's neat. And prime, um, prime New York City representation where someone in a suit says i'm from the transit authority you need to change cars and nobody responds you know the only way they could have hit the he- hit the nail on the head more with with true to new york form is if someone said like just like you know in response to will smith going transit authority we need you to move up a car someone said i don't have any change that's the only other thing they could have done to make that more new york but i'm with you that whole sequence is fantastic yeah like and that's the thing so like and then, like, what? And it's not anything clearly telegraphed to the audience, but, like, he pulls out his actual firearm, and he's like, don't make me do this, Jeff! Yep, yep. And then Jeff just backs off, and it's like, what What the hell just happened? Like, like, oh, okay, so you intimidated this thing that is literally eating a subway car <laughs> with a firearm. If it was that simple, why didn't you literally put this thing to the, like, to the, like and I get it, it's a movie, whatever. But, like, this is show how really nonsensical and incoherent the writing is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like oh okay like like i guess like like jeff is portrayed to be just kind of just like giant just kind of dumb alien yeah and i like, mean there's no thought process exactly. like that yet somehow it does it knows what a gun is when um when they first encounter the flower sticking out of the grate uh warburton and, and will smith are saying things like oh jeff we had an agreement you're only supposed to stay in like this part of new york city or something like that and i'm just like so well, i'm like what I'm like, I, I know they're trying to, once again, it's a total rehash of the first movie, because the, in the cold open of the first movie, Tommy Lee Jones says to whatever that alien's name is that gets blown up, he's like, we had an agreement, you're not supposed to like be crossing the border or whatever, you know, it's like, you, you know how many violations you're in, and they're just doing that same thing again, but it doesn't make any goddamn sense with a giant worm that's traversing, you know, fucking subway tunnels that are, you know, being maintenance is being kept on and stuff like that it's it makes no sense zach but i love it but i hate it you know <laughs> it's it's so nonsensical and irreverent yes yeah. but it doesn't but it doesn't like oh god revel in it in the way that contemporary things do exactly exactly and that's what makes it novel then and now yes but I do want to move on to warburton because i do think patrick warburton is a treasure i love patrick warburton but nick cannon what what was Nick Cannon he's doing? In, he is. He, I love Nick Cannon. He's hilarious. Uh, what was he doing in 2002 that he would? Oh, get, everything. I, I know, everything. but I'm trying that to remember. That was when he thought. Like, yeah. That was when Nick Cannon thought he was going to be like a. Like, didn't he just do Drumline? I, that's what I was trying to remember. Where Drumline is in relation to this? Um, let's. And didn't he host like the Nickelodeon Movie Awards like every year? That's forever? every year. Uh, yeah, for every year that forever. Hasn't stopped since 1997. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was the host of America's Got talent for a while i remember that yeah yeah um let's see when drumline was uh it was 2002 or 2003 yeah it had to had to be back there same year 2002 drumline yep yep, yep. uh okay yeah, this is what nick cannon was like, like this is what like, it's like oh god i robin and i had to have talked about this off mic at one point where like i have like a vi- like, i have an 18s videotape of like, oh god, like on Sunday nights they would do like the top five music videos of the week, mm-hmm. and it's Nick Cannon introducing them. And then like two or three years ago, I turned on like Nickelodeon it like on a Sunday, and Nick Cannon was doing the exact same thing in like 2018. <laughs> and I'm like, God, like 
there is like I, I not that I don't think anybody holds Nick Cannon in high regard. Yeah. But there's something so, so disheartening about someone doing the exact same thing on a children's network they were doing seventeen years <laughs> earlier. Definitely. Um but yeah, he was kinda in here. He pops in, he doesn't really have anything to do. It's just that it's joke. It's a ten second cameo. Exactly. And it's that joke of Will what Wilson says, Why do I have a dead blah 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 in my men in black headquarters, you know? Um and uh, Nick Cannon says it's like blah blah blah, it wasn't processed, sir. Don't neuralize me, sir, and he's gone. And it just adds to that little bit of that, you know, okay, another thing to set up that he's neuralizing partners, which you don't really need. Because when Will Smith goes to Rip Torn, Rip Torn's like, you and Patrick Warburton go investigate this. And he's like, oh, yeah, about Patrick Warburton. You know, I, uh, Agent T? I don't remember what yeah. Patrick Warburton is. And he's like, but he's like, oh, yeah, about that. Damn it, Jay, you have to stop neuralizing partners. You know, that type of thing. So we get it. You know, that, that whole idea. But Warburton in this movie... I think I think it's funny that he starts crying in the restaurant and Willie's like, you took me here so I wouldn't make a scene. And Will Smith is like, you're making a scene right now. <laughs> yep. Um, I do want to mention because I, I don't I don't remember why I didn't bring it up in when we discussed Men in Black 3. But it, of course, the um, the stinger to Warburton scene in this movie is when Warburton is like glazed over in the eyes because just got neuralized. Um, Will Smith says to him, you know. Go, like, get a real job, meet somebody, have a bunch of kids. And then Will Smith goes to the waitress at the diner and says, my friend over there, he's a little shy, but he thinks you are smoking hot, that type of thing. And then, you know, the, he, she looks at Patrick Warburton, cuts to Warburton with the goofy smile on his face type of thing. And then we never see them again. In Men in Black 3, when Will Smith goes to yep, Kay's apartment yep. after the uh, the time rift, and he's like, you know, he's like, Kay? And he, the woman's like, 5K? The woman is holding a child, and of course we know uh, Will Smith, you know, grabs the, is that chocolate milk? And starts chugging it, and, you know, the, the kid says something like, you know, Mommy, why'd the man steal my chocolate milk? Whatever the fuck it happens. No, wh- why, why did the president steal my chocolate milk? <laughs> and, and so... And, and then that woman holding the baby is the same actress yep, as the yep. waitress for Men in Black 2. So I wish we would have gotten a Warburton cameo in um, Men in Black 3, but we don't. But I think the the fans of the Men in Black series, like me in particular, like to think that that is now Warburton's apartment and he has many kids with that waitress. Uh, it's a little, you know, closing that, closing that loop uh, or gap or whatever, you know, storyline, I should say. Uh, very important question, Zach, for you. Who is the better Lemony Snicket, Jude Law or Patrick Warburton? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Have, I... you, have you seen either depiction no. of Lemony Snicket? Okay. No. Okay. Jim Carrey? Uh, have you, did you ever see that movie? No. Okay, okay. We'll get to that I read one. The, I think we've gone through this. Like, I, well, I read the first book literally in a day mm-hmm. in middle school because something, something, they were testing us. I just was bored. Okay. And I gave up after that on that series. Like, I read the first book and just mentally checked out. I'm like, never again. Like, That's fair. I, and as I'm sure Zach knows and the cinema audience knows, uh, I do want to cover that movie one day. But I have read the series Unfortunate Books book many times over. I've read all the offshoots. I've read the prequel, all the wrong questions. And I have to say, I've directed 10 of eight. 26 episodes, maybe even more, 18 out of 26, are directed of the Netflix series, are directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. Good old Bo Welch is the production designer. I do have to say, Warburton is the better depiction of Lemony Snicket. But it might be an unfair comparison, because we only get Jude Law for that one movie, and that movie is not a good representation of what the books are, where the series, the Netflix series, is very much true to the books. Um, 
But uh, yeah, that's that's my. If anybody was dying to know, that's my thought on depictions of Lemony Snicket. Uh, I also, I guess, well, the best depiction of Lemony Snicket is Daniel Handler, who is actually Lemony Snicket. Um, but yes, there we go. The next cameo we have to get to, Zach. Good old Michael Jackson. <laughs> a cameo I completely forgot about. I, I don't know how I forgot about Zed, it, but totally. Zed, <laughs> I can be Agent M. And then the, there's something that uh, Rip Torn says something like when he's like, oh, I could be Agent M. Have you looked at my uh, Michael Jackson's like, have you looked at my, uh, uh, you know, fucking like application to be in the Men in Black? Rip Torn says something along the lines of oh, that yeah. they're still oh, working on that alien affirmative action program. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, such a, it's such a strange like, like i get the joke but do i really yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly and i like the whole thing that michael jackson in the background he's in like antarctica and there's a bunch of penguins or some shit behind him you know um I, so you don't really know what's going on but zach this is something i never knew until i did my research for this movie if you go to the wikipedia page for men in black 2 and you go all the way to the bottom and you get to the segment that's about you know sequels and stuff like that of course they list men in black 3 of course they list men in black international but then they list something called miss castaway and the island girls and of course, this piqued my interest when I was looking at the Wikipedia page. It's like usually I do the the start of my um my research, and I'm like, well, what the fuck is this? Why is this related to Men in Black Two? And erroneously, I I have I now know that this is not true. The internet likes to believe that Michael Jackson, who is in Miss Castaway and the Island Girls, which is actually his last scripted performance before his death is reprising his role as Agent M from Men in Black 2. And so I saw this and I was like, what? I look into this movie. It seems really crazy. I even think it's been rebranded because on Letterboxd, it's under Miss Castaway. They cut off the end, the Island Girls. Um, But the internet is basically like, oh, Michael Jackson reprises his role as Agent M. This movie is described as a parody anarchic comedy film. And it's about a group of beauty queens whose plane crashes on a deserted island. They find Noah's Ark and have to stop apes from taking it on a voyage to destroy humanity. So that is what I read about it, and I'm like, oh my, okay. I'm like, I'm like, this is strange, but this is very odd. Um, and as I'm reading about this, it comes across as like one of those, you know, it's it's not a Zucker Brothers movie, but it comes across as like a date movie or a disaster movie or something like that, you know. And so, oh, and I also see that Eric Roberts is in it, and I'm like, ooh, interesting, you know. So. I, I'm like, okay, I have to look into this. There's very little online about it. The thing you see all the time is that it's Michael Jackson's last scripted performance, and he's reprising his role for Men in Black 2. I, because, Zach, you pushed back this recording, found this movie. It's actually not very fine. It's on Vimeo. Um, I found this movie, and I watched it. And right off the bat, I have to agree with one of the um, the highest uh, liked letterbox reviews for this film. Someone gave it a very low rating, and their review was, the, this movie is the cinematic equivalent of testicular cancer. This movie is really bad. It's really boring. It's not that funny. All that stuff. There's one joke that I want to talk about that I actually laughed at. It's a very Rob joke, but um, here's the thing. I watched this movie. It's 90 minutes long. It's stupid. It's it's a, just a gag a minute. It is very much like a... It's like a ripoff of one of the Zucker Brothers, like, you know, disaster movie, date movie type thing. And those movies are stupid. This is somehow even stupider. There is no indication that Michael Jackson is playing his character from Men in Black 2. 
First and foremost, he is not playing Agent M. He is stated in the movie to be Agent MJ, and characters recognize him as Michael Jackson. So he's basically playing himself, but he's playing Agent MJ. And also, there's no mention of the Men in Black. He's not working. Agent MJ, in the context of Miss Castaway, is not working for the Men in Black. He's working for the Vatican. So, there we go. Debunked. Everybody on the internet can go fuck themselves. I will probably have changed the Wikipedia page because there's no reason that we should have false information on the Wikipedia page. Um, like I said, nobody searched out this movie. I gave it half a star on Letterboxd. It is it half a star for me is like I hate the movie type of thing. It is wildly boring. Like I said, it's so low budget. I mean, even like the editing makes things confusing. Like some like there has to be. It was like edited by a, uh, a lawnmower, like we say sometimes that type of stuff. The premise is there, like, there is a bunch of beauty queens that their plane crashes on a, uh, a deserted island where they find Noah's Ark. Um, in in the parody of Planet of the Apes, the apes want to take Noah's Ark to sea, because apparently when you take Noah's Ark to sea, like, out uh, on a, to sail, it causes the perfect storm, which is going to destroy humanity, like the Bible story is going to recreate or something like that, and the Vatican wants to stop people, or the apes, from doing this. Um, there's a giant pig dinosaur that they call Jurassic Pork that has no bearing on the movie whatsoever but apparently from what I gathered it's like the protector of Noah's Ark it's really stupid nobody should check it out the one joke that I laughed at is in the beginning of the movie when all the beauty queens are on the plane they're showing off like oh this is Miss whatever like this is Miss Texas she's a farm girl this is Miss um, Washington, and she's dressed like George Washington, and they're going to, like, the Miss Galaxy pageant, so it's not just, like, the United States, it's, like, all these ones, and there is a Miss Canada who is dressed like a Mountie, and that made me laugh. That's the one time I laughed with the movie. <laughs> um, any questions about Miss Castaway and the Island Girls, Zach? I, I didn't know this existed, did I, I had zero interest to ever watch it. Yes, but I had to do the research because I thought we'd course, have a connection to Men in Black 2. Rob has to be thorough, even if it's uh, unnecessary, <laughs> he needs to be thorough. So I definitely was not a fan of it. I, I didn't even write a lot of notes down when I watched it. It was, it was like I said, difficult to get through. Um, they, they just It's a ramming in of tons of parodies of stuff and things like that. And, and Eric Roberts is in it. He's the horny captain of the ship that, you know, when they crash land on the island, he's trying to hit on all the women that type of thing um it's really stupid but if anybody wants to watch it it is on vimeo and if you just google miss castaway and the iron goes vimeo i'm sure it'll come up with michael jackson out of the way another cameo i wanted to mention in our little faux uh, unsolved mystery segment peter graves and i have to say in the opening segment when we watch the um the peter graves like narrating the thing i love that there's a moment when like the editing in the show is off so we see him looking at a camera say a sentence end his sentence turn his head and we see the side of his head for a few seconds and then it cuts to the other camera angle like it's the reverse of what you'd have you know from from a, a news story or something where you'd cut before you see them turn but here it cuts after they turn but peter graves is great um i i think he's he's always fun to see other than that there weren't I'm, i don't think i'm missing any cameos right i think we got all of them i mentioned Bismarck. oh what There's am i one. what am i missing what am i not thinking of is it the Balchinian? <laughs> no, who am I missing? Rick Baker. Oh, of course. Is he one of the customs aliens when he yep. shows up? Okay, yeah. a lot of customs, but he's uh, one of the MIB. He's like helping, like give them more, like a disguise to wear. You can tell by his like ponytail. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. I think I remember that. Yes, yes. Um, 
And I think Rick Baker has a cameo in the third one that we didn't mention, but he's under a lot of makeup or something like that. Um, but who knows? But yeah, that's uh, it's full of cameos. And that, to me, is another thing that comes across as a very, you know, now what we think of in sequels, maybe. Maybe more in, like, the soft reboot era where we have the, um, you know, the passing of the torch and the cameos of people who were in the original movie type of thing where they just jam in cameos as they see fit. I don't know. Does that make some sense? Did you get that? As We see a lot more of this now. Maybe not now, but, like... In the wake of this movie, they're, they're just like, cameos, cameos, cameos. Like, this person's popular. Let's just get him in there for no reason, you know? Maybe. Okay. Again, the, I don't think anybody really cared about this as, like, a uh, sure. film. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe if they found some element they wanted to plug in, I can't see them pushing – just being like, yeah, this is a bridge too far. I, I can't see that being a discussion anybody had in earnest. Okay, okay. Um, maybe to also to bring it, not really a cameo, but you know, they get him in the movie cause he's in the first one. Uh, good old Tony Shalhoub come back, comes back of as course. Jack Jeeves. I really like his little sequence when he's, um, uh, prepping K for the neuralizer. What he says something like, have you removed all your jewelry? Are you allergic to shellfish? <laughs> like when he's just going through apparently what you need to know before the de-neuralizer, the, the also giant like off the grid uh, or black market deneuralizer that he get yep. he got what the uh, the the blueprints from eBay or something they like that on, they leaked on eBay leaked a few on years eBay. yeah that was that I like that and that's good and you know that that's all the stuff I think that's all fun um I I guess maybe a joke I don't like is that they have to get flushed from MIB headquarters that I didn't get that that again this felt like a bit from a different movie sure because like we're in the deneuralizer room yeah. And like, okay, like blah, 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 like, like, and then next thing we know, they're like, the, the camera pans up and it's a giant toilet bowl of blue water. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that is the joke, right? That they have to get flushed, and from the aerial perspective, it looks like a toilet a bowl. Toi- but like, would that, would that joke have not have worked, or that bit, if we didn't see the camera pan up and it's a giant toilet bowl? I, no, I feel like, like isn't, still, isn't, the, isn't the joke that like they literally get like physically flushed? Yeah. Like, oh, like like not that like it's a vis like a visual or a physical toilet that does it. Yeah, that that's a good point. And yeah, it really is just like you know, almost like a moment of Barry Sonnenfeld being like, "Do you get it?" Or maybe not, "Do you get it?" Like, we want to make sure you get this joke type of thing. And it's like we yeah. don't really need that you're right <laughs> it's an unnecessary reinforcement of something that should be rather yeah mundane. yeah Un- well speaking of the the ne- unnecessary reinforcement which we talked about from the first and the third movie i think where Bu and i both were like well what is the men in black headquarters room we keep seeing because one part of it is like like the the brain central of it with like all the clerical workers and the actual big monitor on the side you have the room where they're keeping all these crazy like you know um th- these these alien technologies or things that seemingly you know could cause blackouts like in the first movie or in this one Tommy Lee Jones puts his finger in that orb and it like apparently is going to end a civilization but then that's also next to customs <laughs> and this movie doubles down on it because we see the sprint store and a burger king in the background yeah. and well there is like a, a bonkers <laughs> level of product placement in yes this movie. yeah definitely <laughs> and that, that's know. yeah go for it no go ahead i was just gonna say i don't understand it like that this movie doubles down on the the concept of what is this space you know like it's it's a rectangular room that has everything I think it's the most like what efficient bureaucracy. <laughs> okay, sure. Right? Like, is a bureaucracy that's like being run by what? Maybe like four dozen people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
Um, but yeah, like you said, what she's uh, Serlene is eating the the whopper or whatever from Burger yeah. King in that scene. Absolutely, I I don't get it either. But that's another thing that makes no sense about this movie. Um, that they're jamming it all in there because they're like just go for it type of thing. Um, it's just things happening. Yes. Speaking of things happening, oh my god, Rip Torn doing the wire foo moves against Serlina. <laughs> We get that even Tommy Lee Jones does it too. At yeah, one point. yeah. <laughs> like clearly, this is like still to this day we're feeling like what four years later we're feeling the re- or three years later the reverberations of the Matrix. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I also love in the scene where uh, Rip Torn does all the kicks in the air to Serlina's face, and then he like lands, and then we get like this wide shot of Serlina tripping him or something. Yeah. Even in that wide shot, the stunt double looks nothing like Rip Torn. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it is so noticeable, and it's fantastic. <laughs> oh, a, a minor villain we should mention, who, when we don't really get a minor villain in the first movie or the, um, or the third movie, Jara. Jara, yeah. the character with no setup whatsoever, you know? He just happens which, to be again, here. Which, again, feels like a plot point from a different version of the movie. Sure, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um Jara, uh, I I thought he looked familiar, but I I can't imagine this is where I'm You know he looks like the, he looks like the Oh god, what's his name? He was oh, he was the bad guy in Last Action Hero. He oh, Tom the... Noonan. No. Is that who you're thinking no. of? No, oh god, oh, Charles no. Dance? Char- yes, Charles Dance, you're right. Yes. He kind of has like, like a passing Definitely. resemblance to Charles Dance. And I'm like Definitely. That, and I've always thought that like as a kid like in like I think maybe like, 5 years ago or so I looked into it. I'm like, "No, nah, that's not him." I'm like that's D- Charles Dance is right. That might have been who I think. I when you said Last Action Hero, I thought it cuz um the Ripper, the guy in the raincoat at the end of <laughs> at the end of Last Action Hero is Tom Noonan. Um and I Tom Noonan's great because he is Everybody but two people in Anomalisa. Um, but, um, so, okay, yeah, Charles Dance, you're absolutely right. Uh, I Maybe that's who I was thinking of, but when I looked up Jara, it's a guy named John Alexander, and the only things that I would have remembered him from, which I don't think I, I did, you know, it maybe subconsciously, he's the cowardly lion in Return to Oz, a movie Zach has said we will have to cover one day, which I agree with. Um, apparently he's one of the apes, which I wouldn't recognize him from because under so much makeup, but one of the apes in the dinner scene of Planet of the Apes that we've covered. And then apparently he's also Big Al in the Country Bears, which we will have to look out for in, what, two weeks from now or something like that? (laughs) Yes, Rob, two weeks. Two weeks. As as, as my eyes dart around the room. (laughs) Yes. Um, yeah, Jara pops up and, I mean, that, I don't really care too much about his fight with Will Smith, you know, that whole thing. Um, because I think the stinger, what him fighting Jara, he beats Jara, but then the stinger is the, the, the literal ticking clock is winding down and Will Smith can't get out of tubes. Like he's slipping on tubes and that's just nonsense, you know, that type of thing that, so that, that's one of the elements I don't like, but let me, let's, let's actually say back to the scavenger hunt thing. Cause you mentioned it. I wanted to hit on it more. I love the creatures in the grand central station locker. You mentioned it before. I love that they like have almost a not almost they do a religious understanding of the watch that tommy lee jones puts in there and the video store card and i didn't write him down but i'll put the clip in that every time they read something you know like be kind rewind the the leader has some like grand biblical interpretation to say or they all repeat it or something and i think that stuff is so fucking funny (laughs) it's it's so irreverent yeah and not to keep going back to that word but I think it's just like what is happening. Like it's this little moment in the entire like you have this little civilization that lives in this oh god a central state what a um oh god Grand Central Station locker, mm-hmm. 
And, and, and weirdly, they all talk like New Yorkers. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> and the scene ends with them going into like an adult bookshop. Yep. Yep. Uh, I like how angry they get when Tommy Lee Jones picks up the watch and he goes, oh, that's where I left that. <laughs> and they're like, they're like the timekeeper or whatever the hell it is, you know, and Will Smith puts um puts a new one back and he has some. He might as he doesn't say it exactly at this moment in the movie, but he might as well be saying, you know, that's old and busted. This is the new hotness, you know. Like he old probably he just says that again. New yeah. hotness. K, he's back. The light giver. All hail K. All hail K. Okay, can you see by the dawn's You are the man who would be king of the train locker. Oh, good and gentle town folk of locker C eighteen. Did I leave anything here? Yes. The timekeeper. You left it to illuminate our streets and our hearts. I've been looking everywhere for that watch. Oh, merciful one! The clock tower! No, no, I got y'all. I got y'all. It's cool. It's cool. Here, check this out. Titanium case, waterproof to over 300 meters. That's banging, right? Who are you, stranger? Jay. Hmm. All hail Jay! All hail Jay! All hail Jay! Oh, merciful Jay, the keeper of... Come on. word and peace has reigned throughout our world pass it on to others so that they too may be enlightened be kind, go back and reconcile your past in order to move tranquilly into your future two for one every wednesday give twice as much as ye receive on the most sacred of days every wednesday large adult entertainment section in the back yeah. <laughs> that's just nasty but I, I love all those lines when they're so like uh, like in you know indebted to that card type of thing, um, and then the watch is counting down to something. Now here's the thing about the the little creatures in the Grand Central Station locker, which don't have a name. I tried to look up a name, and apparently not even you know in the movie they're not given like a species name or an alien race name. They're not given one in like any Men in Black offshoot stuff. They're literally like the voice of of the guy is credited as like Grand Central Station alien creature, you know. So they don't have any names, so I can't give it. But Zach, did you ever see or know that this movie? after the um, Twin Towers stuff, had an alternate ending that was not the opening of the locker to the bigger thing going on. Did you ever hear about this? No. Okay, so I found this on the Bastion of Truth IMDb, of course, where it was like, oh, there's an alternate ending. And I was like, okay, I have to look into this because I don't believe anything on IMDb trivia. Um, but there is. You can actually watch it on YouTube. And the dialogue is the same. Because, you know, at the when the whole movie gets like wrapped up, like Sterling is destroyed, Rosario Dawson had to uh, fly off into the in back to Zartha, wherever the hell she had to go, which is very Jupiter ascending, I thought. Jupiter ascending, sorry. Where Tommy Lee Jones is like, you are a princess, you need to leave this planet, and you have to go defeat um, <laughs> the guy from Fantastic Beasts, Eddie Redmayne. And she's like, well, I'm crying now, and it's only raining in my little pod. Very Jupiter ascending, I thought. But <laughs> at the when the whole end, when, you know, Zed is like, oh, you're still moping about, you know, losing her and all that stuff. And he's like, I had a fine piece of ass once that we would fuck up and down everywhere. And they're like, Zed, we don't want to hear this. Like, all that dialogue is the same. But instead of Tommy Lee Jones 
like opening the locker and like the creatures are in there like we see in the movie and he's like oh my god you didn't have to do this you know and he's like oh we thought it might help like be a comfort oh okay I, okay i think i vaguely know oh, what you're getting okay continue. so instead tommy lee jones and zed give will smith they're like oh take two weeks off like here's a here's a ticket like you know get in the fucking men in black teleportation device to send you on vacation which i don't even know why you need a ticket for it it's a very weird and also <laughs> it's like unfinished cgi effects in the version that i saw they're not fully unfinished like not like that x-men origins wolverine print that i have where everything's cube still when they're fighting on top of the fucking uh radio uh power plant thing but he gets in he's like oh you don't have to do this thank you he gets in and in the ship teleports him shrinks him down and teleports him to the grand central station locker and he like he like gets up and he's like you know oh where am i what vacation am i on and all the creatures are like all hail jay all hail jay and the movie ends I'm so glad they changed that alternate ending because, like I said in our discussion on the first one, the the stinger, the ending of this movie where Tommy Lee Jones says, you know, kid, after all this time, you still haven't realized that, you know, there's something much bigger going on. And he opens the locker and it pans out to all the lockers and you see the giant men in black, like, you know, customs room, whatever the fuck we're calling it. I love the ending of this movie. I love the fact that they're like, there is something clearly much, much bigger going on. It's the best out of all three, like I said in that first discussion. Uh, I like the first one with the alien playing marbles with the galaxies. Like, that's fun. That gets at the same idea, but here it's literally like, no, look. Like, if you open this fucking locker that says, like, do not open and has caution tape on it, you will see that there is so much more going on. I find it so fun. I I loved it when I was a kid, seeing it in theaters, and I still love it to this day. I am so glad they cut out the fucking, oh, you're just now going to spend two weeks with these Grand Central Station, like, alien creatures. Because what the hell would that... Like, that's just dumb. That has nothing to do with it. This at least lets your imagination flourish. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. No, I agree. Um, I have seen that original deleted scene at some point, vaguely coming back to me, but, okay. like, it's been a while. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Like, I don't have much to say. Like, it's uh, it's very similar to the ending from the first film. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, no, it has more... Again, whimsy being the key word there. Yep. I, I also want to say that the IMDb trivia fact that references this says that uh, the alternate ending has Will Smith being uh, transported to the homeworld of those creatures. Fucking idiots on IMDb. That is objectively not the case because at the end of the deleted alternate ending is Tommy Lee Jones shutting the locker door. So it is clearly not the homeworld of these creatures. Rob, you don't know if they were bur- birthed in that locker. But then the the home then he wouldn't be transported <laughs> to the home world of the creatures because if they were birthed in that locker, their home world would be Earth, and he's not he's already on Earth. <laughs> Rob, just because it's redundant doesn't mean it's wrong. <laughs> it is, no, it is definitely wrong. Nobody takes a vacation to like Puerto Rico and says like, "Man, I got transported to Earth." Like nobody, they, nobody fucking says that. Oh God, <laughs> it's all about perception, Rob. It's all about perception. <laughs> it's all about perception. Oh God, um. What else, what else did we want to mention about this movie, Zach? What did you um, have? Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about oh as I looked God. through my notes? Um, oh, we have to mention the Balchinian. I think enough is said. It's the Balchinian. Um, I do like the designs and that fight scene in Jack Jeeb's like, little basement. I like all those yeah, those fights. Cute. Yeah. Well, can we talk about Johnny Knoxville and how he literally just disappears from the movie? Uh, yeah. I He disappears yeah, from the movie. Absolutely. Like, he's like, what, he, he's, what, performing CPR on himself? 
then we see Zerlina be like, yeah, the rights to that mammary glands can control over the entire planet. Never seen again after ne- that. Yep, you're absolutely right. I, I have to say, I know. Or is it, or wait, wait, or is it the sequence in Jeeves that we see him? In Jeeves, it's like, like pawn shop. Do we see him there? Maybe, because he like tells the aliens where to go or something. I don't know. I feel like you're right. That is him doing CPR, his second head doing CPR on himself is the last time we see him. But I don't really remember because you're right. He disappears from the movie. <laughs> yeah, he literally disappears halfway through an 80-minute movie. And yeah. like he never – like nothing. Like it, it's, it's – it, considering it's, – like, it's almost as if his character and Jara are the same. Like on yeah. a like, – <laughs> narrative level that's a good point absolutely like like jar shows up the exact same time like johnny knoxville disappears yeah you're absolutely right um i don't think i know i've said this before when ben and i discussed um walking tall with the rock uh johnny knoxville's in that i don't think johnny knoxville is like a bad actor like i don't see him when he's not doing jackass stuff and seeing him in a movie i'm like oh my god that's just johnny knoxville i mean you know, he is just always going to be Johnny Knoxville to me, but I think he is a pretty good actor. I will bring it up again, as I've said it before. I have seen the movie The Ringer, where he yep. pretends to be a mentally challenged person to infiltrate and be in, you know, compete in the Special Olympics. I think that movie gets a lot of unfair hate. I, I think it is actually more empowering than it is offensive. Um, the, the Also, the whole thing is that what Brian Cox is like, it's not like Johnny Knoxville is like, oh, I'm going to infiltrate the... Uh, the the special olympics because i'm the bad guy like he gets convinced to do it by brian cox who plays his uncle or something and there's a fantastic montage where johnny knoxville is doing different mentally handicapped characters in front of a mirror and one of them is he's like my name is lance and i can count to potato and it is very funny um (laughs) we will have to cover that movie one day a movie does not get as much hate i own i think i might have sold it or given it away but i did own that movie okay (laughs) just real quick kind of like there was a Speaking of The Ringer, because that's a Katherine Heigl movie. Yes, she's the love interest, yeah. Yes. There was a Comedy Central TV spot for that movie where, like, it's all the actors, like, like not in character. Like, they're they're themselves. Okay. And it's like, hi, I'm Johnny Knoxville. Like, it's the whole cast there. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like, the mentally disabled people, like, yes. cast members. And it's like, hi, I'm Johnny Knoxville. And, like, I have a movie called da 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 And, like, here are three reasons why you should see this movie. And like again, it's one of those things where it's up there with the the brother bear thing, like TV spot. <laughs> I have no idea if it's lost media by now. Sure, but like he goes through these reasons. In the last one, he's like, and Catherine Heigl has a great pair of Rob can see this because I'm like I'm miming it on like the <laughs> the video screen, and like he puts his hands out, obviously meant to like pantomime grabbing one's yep. breast, and then like it cuts off, and I'm like, can you fathom <laughs> in a TV spot for a movie? Where the male actor references grabbing the female lead's bosom in marketing. Like, not in the context, not like a scene from the movie, but like, as like a thing just being like, oh, this actress is voluptuous and I want to uh, molest her. (laughs) Like, can you fathom that? And that was a little over 15 years ago. Like, that was marketing that was approved by a major, not just... Oh, God, movie studio, but network. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think I ever that saw is, that, but you are absolutely right. That is, like, grounds for cancellation these days. It's been grounds like for cancellation for a while. That's like somebody thought of that. Like, like someone, would be too, like someone would have thought about that and immediately would have ended up on Twitter and it would have been, like, a crick. There'd be an entire <laughs> floor of Viacom just out of business right now. Yes, yes. I 
we should absolutely discuss The Ringer one day because, like I said, I think it gets a bad rap, and there's also some hilariously funny moments. I know that when Brian Cox takes Johnny Knoxville in his character as a mentally handicapped person to register for the um, Special Olympics, they when Catherine Heigl's like, and what's your name? And they realize they didn't think of a name for Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> that what like uh, Brian Cox says something like it's Jeffrey, but he goes by Jeffy, and she's like, and the last name. And they're like, Dahmer. And everybody pauses, and he goes, with an O. <laughs> and then there's also a moment when I think Johnny Knoxville takes all, like, they, they break curfew, and they go out at night for some reason, but they get caught when they're coming back. And, and Johnny Knoxville gets caught, and they're like, well, what are you doing out after curfew? That type of thing. It's like, oh, we all went to go get ice cream. And one of the mentally handicapped, like, the actual mentally handicapped person goes, when the fuck did we get ice cream? <laughs> <laughs> We have that's a fucking I should rewatch. I'm gonna rewatch that before I rewatch Dogma. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I don't think Johnny Knoxville is a bad actor. I, I think he actually no, has some he's chops. Solid. Um, he can be he can be solid. Yeah. But I do have to say, oh my god, did I hate the CGI on his other head in this movie. I hated how it looked in this in this film. It was janky as all hell. <laughs> well, I think that works though, because it gets meant to be like unnatural and something we wouldn't be we wouldn't have seen before. Sure, sure. So I found, I, I can't, like, it, I think it is meant to be some level of, like, just jarring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't think at any point it took me out of the movie. Okay, okay. That, that is fair. That didn't take me out of the movie. I mean, God, it, this movie is almost un, un, unimmersible, if that makes sense. It's, yeah. like, complete, completely immersible because it lives in its own universe. It, that's why I think maybe that hits the nail on the head, Zach, of what I was saying earlier. It has, like, those Wild Wild West vibes. Like, Wild Wild West is so fucking off the wall and crazy that you're just living in a different universe, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Johnny Knoxville does disappear from the movie. I, don't, I didn't really think about that, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> I'm trying to think. What else do I have about this movie? Um... There's like I, I, we kind of touched like outside of like doing a like, cat in the hat like we just like reference sure. a joke laugh and say that was funny yeah yeah um no David Cross being the best I guess like the only thing really I have to say left about this movie um is the last time we'll get a Will Smith theme song for a movie oh of course black um, suits coming parenthetical nod your head par- Zach uh correction parenthetical slap your head. <laughs> 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 no, it is definitely nod your head, but a slap your head is what we should retroactively uh, uh, call it now. Um, I definitely not. Well, I guess to jump the gun, that's what we should play in reverse at the end of this, I think. But Zach, I have to ask you, is there some unknown sampling in this song that you can enlighten us about? <laughs> like you did with the Forget Me Nots by Patrice Ruchin in Men in Black 1. <laughs> I, I will say that like this song was I, I always liked this like when the credits would play on the DVD, I think I probably rewind it a couple times. Okay. It was it was in the same vein as like the evolution VHS where I'd like reloop like certain moments <laughs> sure. from the soundtrack. Um I remember when I got again, another one of those ones where I got my first iPod. I think this was like one of the first music videos I bought because I had an iPod video. Okay. Um, video is very kind of like goofy. Um, the uh, the music video in that we get the character that's sorting the mail in the mail room with Tommy Lee Jones, oh. and he's a DJ because he has like what six uh, hands. Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. Um. Yeah. Black suits come and nod your head. Um. It does not have the same. Uh, lyrics <laughs> as la wild west in that like it's not a comedic masterpiece of just nonsense yeah um 
Like Rob will definitely play a portion of that uh, unreversed. Tangoland with the alien scum again. Mind your manners or the black suits running in. Nod your head. Let me see you nod your head like this. Let me see you like this. Let me see you bop your head. Nod your head. Come on. Let me see you like this. Let me see you nod your head like this. Check it. Yo, it's this chick, right? me sick right earth is worthless to her she be tripping like threatening me in my men's trying to get the light thinking she's superwoman but black kryptonite what? just just for reference sake <laughs> no, no, no it's not the end of the episode yet what? um no, I, 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 I never I, play in any music straight through i mean even as you know zach the cheetah girls clips in the and the play cinderella clips those are even reversed, reversed. <laughs> music um, never gets played in the correct correct direction <laughs> Uh, no, like, I've always liked that. There's really nothing. It's not, it's, it, I don't think it was ever a charting song. Okay, yeah, I it's don't know. I didn't look I would, into that, yeah. I would say it's almost something entirely forgotten in pop culture. Even, like, in regards to, like, the Men in Black franchise. Like, sure. I know, obviously, we talked about it with the Peach Bowl song from a few months ago. <laughs> That's right. Where it's, like, people want Will Smith to come back and do it. Like, I guess, like, a theme song. And, he, like, I don't even think it was something that was even broached with him. Sure. Um, This is one that I don't even think is, like... Like understood to exist. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree, and um, it, it's uh, definitely. I feel like if you think of the Will Smith movie tie-ins, I think still that first Men in Black one's the one that's going to get remembered most. Probably in conjunction with the fact that this movie was disliked and and you know almost kind of like forgotten or discarded type of thing, like we were saying. Um, so that just that just kind of goes with the territory that they're going to throw all that right, out. Rob. Rob, Uh-oh. it should be um, new that, uh, like, new breaking news in the slap We didn't even talk about Will Smith's apology when he, he did. You read that his Instagram apology, whatever the text uh, thing, where he apologized to literally the entire universe except Chris Rock. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, for the song "Black Suits Come In," apostrophe slap parenthetical slap head. nod yeah. your head. Slap, okay. <laughs> It's also not not nod your head. It's your head. Nod your head. Yep. It's not just Will Smith. It's Will Smith introducing Tronox. Tronox? Who the fuck is that? (laughs) It's T-R-A with, oh God, like, like, I don't know my terminology, but it has like the solid line on top of it. Dash, dash, capital K-N-O-X. Tronox. Tronox. Introducing. Yeah, I see that. Tronox does not have a Wikipedia page. (laughs) So that introduction (laughs) didn't go too well. (laughs) No. I have to do say for this song, it did chart on the Billboard Hot 100. Okay, okay. 77 was the highest it ever went, but it did chart. What the? Who is Tronox? They're not even listed in the personnel for the I, song. You know, I just I just saw that same thing. It said so the song features vocals from Trunox, who performs part of the hook in the chorus. That's it. <laughs> okay, this is uh this that sounds like that could be like an a made up alien or something like that, you know? <laughs> Apparently there is a deleted scene from the film in the in a montage of clips from Men in Black 2. I Googled Trunox. And it came up with a Wikipedia page, and the entirety, the entirety of Tronox's Wikipedia page is just, I'm, this, I'm serious, there's no words other than a link to the Wikipedia page for Black Suits Come and Nod Your Head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's his redirect, yep. This is absolutely, apparently, 
there's some songs though I'd never heard of this person Tron Knox. Okay, there we go. Um, that's that's some fun stuff. It, it's like Miss Castaway and the Island Girls. It's completely forgotten. <laughs> uh, but yeah, are, are you in agreement? So we can we don't have to bring it up again. We'll play that in reverse at the end of the episode. Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. A- absolutely. Good. good. Thank God. <laughs> that's easy. Um, yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up. I think that yeah, I don't think I had anything any, anything else in relation to this movie. Um, oh, I guess. In, in speaking of musical, we're on it. We do get, of course, from Frank the Pug the uh, needle drop of Baja Men's "Who Let the Dogs Out." Because... That's even that like it, like it's so lowest like it's oh yeah, yeah it's lowest common denominator and it's about like a year and a half past its prime. Yep. Yep. Yet like <laughs> like oh god, the soccer mom and me like kind of laughed at that. I'm just like it's like obviously he comes out of the pizza restaurant and it's like who let the dogs out and you have Frank the Punk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is so pedestrian but like it's kind of <laughs> cute. I'm like yeah. whatever movie the dog is cute. I'm I also like have I... nothing against that song. I still like that song for what it's worth. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a song that Oh, God, we should have said that in our four-year extravaganza episode. We were talking about movies that should have been canceled. That song should be canceled because it's about, you know, who let the dogs out is about them going to a club and seeing that's a bunch of ugly women there. So, yeah, I yes. real quick. Okay, not to make this like another nostalgia thing for me, <laughs> but I remember – because as Rob knows, like for like my first, second, third, and fourth grade, I went to like a private Baptist school, and the Baptists are literally insane. Um, but – uh, sorry if you weren't aware of that audience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not apologizing. I have, I'm, the only thing I'm apologizing for is the fact that you're ignorant as an audience if you didn't already know that. Yeah, it's more like not an apology, a spoiler alert, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I remember like, we did this one thing in Florida that was called the Sun Dome. Don't even know if it exists anymore. Okay. And, like, for some reason, like, we went there. Don't know why. But, like, they played a bunch of pop music, and that was one of the songs they played. Baja mm-hmm. Men Were Not There. And I remember one of the mothers like who was also like oh god i think she was the nurse and she like got so mad they played that song and like i remember asking my mom because like that was on nickelodeon all the time in 2000 like yeah. why would that have been a bad thing and i was like well like it's about like like mocking ugly women and i'm like no mom there are dogs in the music video and it's who let the dogs out? Like, I remember, like, little old, like, eight-year-old May trying to explain to my mother <laughs> that, Mom, you're clearly wrong. This isn't about ugly women. There are dogs in the music <laughs> video, and they're trying to figure out who let the dogs out. It's the about titular. canines. You can see them. <laughs> the dogs, they knocked over a table. <laughs> who let the dogs out to cause this chaos? <laughs> Zach had a PowerPoint and everything. <laughs> 20 years later, Rob's like, no, Zach. No. <laughs> there, that's actually a good point. I, I always know that there's there's some songs with, with I don't know if you want to call them hidden meanings, but maybe subtextual meanings yeah. that like were very popular songs and somehow like parents knew about them. That was something that I was like, the one that I always think of is that uh, Closing Time by what, Semisonic, you know, Closing Time, One Last Call for Alcohol. And it's like, that song is apparently about like the lead singer's wife giving birth, and the whole thing about like you, you like the whole thing of closing time. You, you can't, you have to, you don't, you don't care where you go, but you can't stay here. Is about like the, the you know, fetus being pushed out of the womb and stuff like that. And I hear my friends saying like, oh, my parents would not let me listen to that song because it's about like sex and giving birth. And I'm like, 
who the fuck? Like, how would they know this? You know? Wasn't <laughs> that also kind of like um, what, Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind? Oh, like, that was another one, too. Where, yeah. Like, unless you explicitly know what that song's about. Like, it's like, yeah, it's just a pop song. Exactly. It's just a catchy song. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we should do We should do a series about that. Ben and I should do song screed and do a whole thing of like songs with hidden meanings that would ruin children, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, then even, I mean, now, now I feel like that's gone away. That can't happen anymore because you got fucking like 12 year olds listen to like WAP and shit like that, you know? <laughs> and then <laughs> the parents are dancing along with them on TikTok, right? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Zach knows well, I'm well, right. Horrible, well, horrible visual that just conjured up. Um, but like, it's even like I remember like, well, God, what was it? Was it France or was it England? Where like the Ariana Grande concert got like bombed? Oh yes, yes. I think it was yeah. England, but I don't remember. I remember yeah, more I, that Eminem made fun of her for that, or yeah. made fun and of like, that experience. But like, it's a thing that it's like if you like, it's like oh, like there were children there, and I'm like. Like and this was like twenty what twenty sixteen twenty seventeen and like and that's when Ariana Grande was like transitioning like yeah. into like like Katy Perry and that like every song had like sexual innuendo yep but it was so thinly veiled like oh god it, Rob Bowen started a club of it um oh god it's the <laughs> I can see the music video I can't think of the song of it um oh my god uh oh my god it has Nicki Minaj is like the featured I, artist I, I feel like I know what you're talking about too but I don't I don't know it as well um but Jesus, side to side Jesus side Christ to side, Zen, like, the, the, uh, you need when we are finished recording and we hang up this Skype call you need to find this out right now because I gotta turn this ep- episode around like tomorrow <laughs> you have no time we have no time to it's do this correction it's called side to side okay. and like the entire song is about like Ariana Grande who has the body of a 12 year old boy um <laughs> And it's like, oh, like I can't. The entire song is about I can't walk straight because I got fucked so hard the night before. <laughs> yeah, okay. And it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, I feel like we've even talked about this before. Now that you mention it, it's like one of the, no, because like I remember in 2016, like as somebody who is a pop music aficionado, being like, I like this beat, and then like realizing, like, oh god, it's like, <laughs> like this. No, like I don't want to like this. It's like. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Am I allowed I, to say Ariana Grande has the body of a 10-year-old boy? Like, I am I allowed so. to say that? No, you can't say 10-year-old. You said 12-year-old a few minutes <laughs> oh, ago. Okay. So, but 10 me. is no good. 12 is okay. Um, okay. I... I also now I swear to God, Zach, if months from now when I'm editing this and I put the fucking clip in and you listen back to it and you realize that's not the song, if we have to do another fucking correction in our five year extravaganza next to the Cheetah Girls, we're just going to music corner at the end uh, at the beginning of our five year. No, don't look it up, Zach. That's going to ruin the fun. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, I'm with you, though. Yeah, the. um, yeah, I don't think that happens too much anymore. I think stuff is just sexually explicit. I think it does. And, I think it, well, I no, think no, no. It I, I, I'm using my pronouns for something we have gotten off topic of. I don't think parents don't let oh, their kids listen to songs with caring? subtextual. Yes, pa- that doesn't happen caring? anymore. Now, now it's all over the place. The sexual stuff that's rampant, okay. of course. Um, because they're doing it on TikTok and stuff like that. <laughs> Dude, some of the fucking TikTok videos that make my way in the common songs that get used, I find very upsetting. Like, one of them, oh, God, it's called, like, Starlight Heart or something like that. 
and that gets used, like, the intro to that song gets used a lot in TikToks, but it's a fucking Jack Stauber song? Like, the guy who made Opal, and the guy who fucking got famous for putting those local cable access commercials where he gave his a P.O. box and said, mail me your teeth? And now, nobody <laughs> on TikTok knows about that. Nobody knows how good Opal is, but they're using one of his songs for, like, I don't know, cringe videos of people, I don't know, punching someone in the face and saying it's just a prank, bro. You know, it's fucking the weirdest shit to me. Uh, but that's that's the state of the world. <laughs> God, right now in March as we go to August. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lord knows what the state of the world is by uh, August. Yes. Oh, God. Um about this movie zach anything else about the state of the world in march Com- what do we have comment down below if you found out what tronox is <laughs> yeah that's a good point uh we need to know um but if there's nothing else then are you ready for our questions i, I am ready for some questions Rob. okay now late night definitely i think i'm just going straight up late night you know with uh with um the men in black movies i know i said that it'd be tough to find somebody with uh who hasn't seen the first movie back when we did that you know however many months ago i think this one is so goofy though and i feel like this would be this is something i want to take your brain about because i feel like this movie if you have somebody who's maybe seen it before but not seen it in a very long time which i think we've we've been lenient with that it doesn't have to be a first time viewing for a late night it could be a you haven't seen it in a while, and I think it would be good to, if somebody hasn't seen it in a while and was like, oh, I didn't like that when I was a kid. Like, that didn't live up to the expectations I had after the first Men in Black, that type of thing, that this would be okay for a late-night viewing. What do you think? Because I would love to do this. Like, I think we said yes to late-night for Wild Wild West for that reason. I would, yeah. Um, no, I'm going to say yes to both. Um, Cinemality for the fact that, like, this is, like, everything I love in big block, like big blockbuster entertainment where it's so nonsensical, <laughs> irreverent, um, like it, it's practically incoherent. Um, yes. as for late night movie, I would love to show this in a vacuum. Cause I think like there's enough cultural osmosis. You would understand what's ha- happening. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a late night movie. It, it works. Okay. I, I okay. think it's, it's, it has its moments. Like even, um, like it, I, I didn't do a ton of research for this, figuring out like what the consensus is like the consensus still is the second one is the worst one like by yeah. far yep. um not enough people have seen international to really gauge one way or the other plus i think i think people who haven't seen it give it the benefit of the doubt because of chris hemsworth and tessa thompson oh, and just they think it's thor ragnarok yeah, yeah. um so i think it weirdly just like it, it gets a pass because because nobody seems to care i i watched a nostalgia critic video for this and he's like, it's kind of bad, but it made me laugh. He's like, I, I really can't hate. And he's he was rather nuanced on it, which okay. was refresh, refreshing. <laughs> um, and he was just like, yeah, like I really can't can't hate something that made me laugh, even if it was kind of few and far in between. Sure. So I'm like, yeah, I'm like, okay, like I'll take it. Like it's kind of nice to see these things that were derided over like the last twenty years finally getting a fair shake, um, even if they're not objectively good. 
Um, people are at least picking out the the glimmers of of, of goodness. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, I th- I think uh, for both it's a yes. Okay, yeah, I have to echo what you said about cinemodity's status. That it's a definite. This is with the Wild Wild West vibes. With how nonsensical this movie is. With how with how just insane it is. It's a it's a definite. Any movie that has a character just disappear halfway through, like <laughs> it's like it's it's like like a shoe for cinemodity. <laughs> like it has to be any movie that just has a character disappear. Like, like, come on. Like, is there any normal movie where that happens where a character just miraculously just like with no explanation type of thing? Has it ever been pulled off? Has a movie ever pulled off a character disappearing without an explanation? I don't think so. Nothing comes to mind. I mean, whenever, because it's me, whenever I think of a character disappearing with no explanation, I think of the end of Final Fantasy (laughs) XIII. Because okay. lightning is literally go- like the glass cutscene of Final Fantasy Thirteen makes zero fucking sense, and the main character is gone, and it does get explained later on um, in the lightning re- in Lightning Returns, I think. But it is like that's what I always think of. But movies, I'm not sure. This might be the example now I can always think of where Johnny Knoxville just passes out, has to be given C- CPR by seemingly something that is sharing his same lungs. <laughs> Which I didn't think about until now, so how would that work? Can you give CPR from your own set of lungs, that type of thing? Probably not. Uh, but yeah, we will have to think of that. Maybe if we brainstorm enough sec, that'll be a new series. We'll get okay. four episodes of movies where a character inexplicably, inexplicably disappears at some point in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess then that brings us to snacks, Zach. And there's two I have to get out right off the bat. Two separate menu items. One will be a lobster dinner that costs a dollar, and one will be a lobster dinner that costs more than a dollar. <laughs> What's the difference, Rob? Uh, price, of course, Zach. I thought I that's made it. that clear. That's, that's it. That's um, it. Do you, uh, yeah, do you think – oh, I guess I didn't really think of that. Do you think it should be the same meal, just different prices? <laughs> I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, what, what's the difference? Like yeah. I'm kind of curious. What would a lo- like? You go to Cambodia, you get a, a a lobster dinner for a dollar. Like, what is a lobster dinner? Is it just like a cooked, fully cooked lobster? Like, you just get a lobster, you got to crack it open, eat it. Like, you you know, order a lobster. See it raw. Maybe it's a the raw lobster. yes goes back to our venom snacks. Tom Hardy <laughs> chomping into uh, the uh, chocolate covered marshmallow lobster. But yeah, maybe the lobster dinner that costs more than a dollar should be the same thing because I feel like that is you know. Making fun of our customers, where a customer is like, I don't need to buy one that costs, you know, I more, I, I want to buy one that costs more than a dollar. I'll get a better meal, and it's the same fucking thing, you know? <laughs> I get behind that. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> to be determined, it's a lobster. I just, just, it's the concept of the juxtaposition of the two. Oh, and they'd have to be right next to each other on the menu, you know? Okay. And I, like, right, like, one on top of the other, you know, in the, um, the vertical layout of the, of the menu. And, you know, I would also love, I hope, Hope that someone would order it and they'd be like, I'll take the lobster dinner. And the waiter would have to say, the one that costs a dollar or the one that costs more than a dollar. (laughs) (laughs) And whenever we uh, cover RoboCop, I don't know if we ever would cover RoboCop, we could add that on. I'm preemptively adding a snack, everybody. When we discuss RoboCop, we would have lobster dinner that you would buy for a dollar. Um, you know, I'd take the lobster dinner. Which one? Uh, the one I'd buy for a dollar. There we go. That was a weird, weird connection. Like that's that was like that was everybody a, that, knows that, that was, from RoboCop. That, Blo- that was a Men in Black Two level of like non sequitur. <laughs> I just came out of nowhere. Everybody like, who loves <laughs> RoboCop knows that line. I'd buy that for a dollar. It's weird for Rob to make references, but like that was like a Rob like level of like just like <laughs> we're just throwing this in here because people might recognize it. Like it's un it's unnatural for Rob to do that. So uh, that's what this movie has done to him. 
<laughs> so I have another snack that I wanted to see if you could remember where, because I didn't write down where it came from. Um, so maybe you can remind us, but I just wrote down anchovy fillets in virgin olive oil. Oh, when- that's when Will Smith's going around the room, like looking at the, uh, like, oh, here's this picture. It's pointing at the astronaut. Why is the astronaut pointing at the pizza boxes? Oh, yes. Who okay. stacks pizza boxes this way? So whatever we need is in this little cabinet. And he opens it and it's like, gotcha. Dang. You're slowing me down, Slick. Whatever we're looking for is in these cabinets right here. Anchovy fillets and virgin olive oil. I hope I'm not slowing you down. Good work, partner. Yeah. Okay, I totally did not remember that, but it's coming back to me. I think that's just great. Anchovy fillets and virgin olive oil. Why not? Maybe to put a, a cinematic twist on it instead of virgin olive oil. And I'm totally, I actually only saw this joke very recently when we were recording this, and I can't believe I hadn't seen it earlier, but I thought it was hilarious. I saw a picture online uh, that it was like a fake label on like an olive oil bottle. And instead of saying virgin olive oil, it said extra slutty olive oil. <laughs> and I found that massively funny. <laughs> so we should have anchovy fillets in extra slutty olive oil. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it said like even you know um, for anyone that does not know virgin olive oil means it's olive oil from the first press of the olives so slutty olive oil I guess technically would be like when the when the olives are basically all used up you get one more good press out of them <laughs> and you don't really get anything maybe you get like crushed like olive pit or something like that you know um but i think that's cool i think the i have to i've saved the picture somewhere because i thought it was funny but it says something like extra slutty olive oil banged hundreds of times or something like that and i found that hilarious and it was one of those times i laughed at it and i gave i was like respect to that joke and i was mad at myself for not ever thinking of that earlier (laughs) (laughs) but i have one other it's not a food item but we'll get to that yet but zach what did you have for the restaurant for men in black 2 um, I think I'm gonna steal all my snacks. I'm gonna sit there uh, from one shot, um, two heads of cabbage and the Whopper. Oh, like what? Is that one meal overall? Yes. Oh, okay. yeah, it's literally a Whopper with two heads of cabbage. That's that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> trying to think. So, is it just is it just like is there it's any like we do it's just do a we Whopper two heads of cabbage? No, no, it's like exactly raw cabbage. You, like it's just exactly it? what you okay. think it is. <laughs> is that the menu description underneath it it's exactly what you think it is (laughs) okay i like that much like the film that it's being uh pulled from it's exactly what you think it is there is no (laughs) context to it or depth this can't be the first time but i'm i'm i can't think of an example immediately do we have other things in the restaurant that are just other restaurants foods because a whopper is clearly a burger i know we have to have but i can't think of an example or anything um but uh, there's no way we don't have that right like like this brand thing it has to be it has like like, i would be shocked if we didn't at four plus years exactly exactly i i don't even know what i would control f in the spreadsheet to find this it's Um, like like i don't know big mac whopper big mac's probably on there do cigarettes count? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Big Mac's uh, Big Mac's not in there. That's weird. Uh, I've, okay, but it's probably it's probably in there. I'm totally with you. Um, we just can't think of anything anywhere. Oh God, I cannot go down the rabbit hole of just scanning the fucking spreadsheet because too many things catch my eye that I forget about, and I go, "What the fuck were we smoking when we thought of that one?" <laughs> um, but okay, no, that that's a good one. I really like that. Uh, anything else for the restaurant? I don't 
don't know, like like Spanish calzone. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I mean, I can... like that sounds disgusting. <laughs> like, isn't uh, that essentially just like, like is that what it's what spinach or broccoli? Uh, like in the movie, I don't yeah, remember what, what, what Rose McGowan says. Rose McGowan. <laughs> <laughs> where did we go where did we what is happening i don't remember where the calzone came up and i definitely don't no, remember that's the, oh come like rob did we watch the same movie um oh god it's at the very beginning where like uh, will smith is like interviewing rose mcgowan and he's like like it's like oh what'd you have for uh like when was the last time you ate lunch what did you have like spanish calzone you need pie it's okay like, okay so you're talking about rosario dawson <laughs> Close enough. I was totally thinking, I was like, where the fuck is Rose McGowan in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> that threw me off. Rose McGowan and Rosario Dawson, I do not connect in person. any way. <laughs> 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 yes, the one of the uh, the biggest uh, outcriers of Harvey Weinstein, good old Rosario Dawson. <laughs> um, but okay, yes, uh, you need pie. Okay, I don't remember which one she says. Um it might have been broccoli. I don't know. Spinach calzone seems more apt because a spinach calzone has to exist. I think um, all of it exists, and it sounds like disgusting. Well, like, yeah, it's just, a it's spinach just... calzone is just like the Italian version of spanakopita. You know. <laughs> well, the, well, think about what a spinach calzone is, or even broccoli. Like it's just like ricotta dough and like a vegetable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's disgusting. It, I don't know if it's disgusting. <laughs> calzones are bad. Like, Can we say after the record calzones are bad? I have nothing against calzones. Calzones are bad. <laughs> it's the Why laziest it? Why are form- calzans, cal- calzans? It's like it's like it's like a dumb man. It's like oh god, it's just a fold like of a ma- pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said something really bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not towards Rob, but just I'm trying to describe what a calzone is. I'll just I was about to say like it's it's the Italian version of like a mentally handicapped bagel cream cheese. Like it's just like <laughs> like that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> Rob's. Like, now from our four-year extravaganza now i I, now i just want to say is a calzone a quiche (laughs) is a calzone a mentally handicapped bagel (laughs) um i have nothing against calzone i did not know you were so against calzones calzones are fine and i'm even fine with vegetable calzones (laughs) i would totally get a cat one of my favorite pizza like toppings to get and i feel if you like it on pizza you like it on a calzone because you just fold the pizza and (laughs) roll the edge dough over so it's cold it's closed but i would totally eat a calzone that had you know like sausage spinach and feta cheese in it i would a hundred percent eat that and that has spinach in it what are you what are you doing over here zach (laughs) okay do you does sauce inherently go in the calzone or is it simply a dipping like condiment i use it as dipping for calzones definitely that's what i mean so like no like it's it's just dough and cheese that's rolled up into a bowl like no and i would be fine eating that without sauce also I, have not, no, I don't know. No. I don't know where this is coming from at all. Zach. I know this is this is like I, I don't know. It takes us a note in the spreadsheet for the five year extravaganza. We need to have some sort of ruling on the field when it comes to calzones. Zach is like, keep calzones out your fucking mouth. <laughs> I did not know you were so vehemently anti calzone. <laughs> no, but like it's how she phrased it. It's like, what'd you have for lunch? It's like spinach calzone. I'm like, that's not lunch. 
That's like why that's is like that not fun. lunch? What is <laughs> there's, there's a Homer there's a Simpsons gag that like Homer's like trying to make breakfast, and so what he puts a bunch of like, like cloves, like like oh god, <laughs> oh, oh god, what's it called? No, not daiquiri mix. Um, oh god, it's a uh, oh god, it's an alcohol that you can like drink by itself, but it's primarily used like as like a mixing. Oh sure, a there's a few examples, but okay, something like that, yeah, something yeah. like that, and like puts a pie crust on top of it and starts like eating it with a spoon. That's what a calzone is for Italians. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Sam- sambuca. It's like oh, okay, like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Like, that's what a calzone is to me. There's nothing appetizing about it. I'd rather not. I'd rather just eat plain dough at that point. Fucking, we got. We're having tons of calzones, Zach. In the oh, restaurant. We're having a whole calzone, like table side calzone. You get a whole make your own calzone. I got nothing. I haven't had a calzone in a while, but I got nothing against it. I'm gonna order calzone from the pizza place across the street, Zach. I'm gonna Snapchat Rachel all about it and tell her to let me know. <laughs> She'll have no idea because we did not watch this movie together. Okay. So, <laughs> much like the movie, she's going to be inundated with non sequiturs. Even if you did watch it together, I feel like nobody. I didn't pick up the. She said she had a calzone for lunch. That's a normal. She works in a pizza place. That's all. Okay. Okay. If you work in a restaurant, you do not eat that food. Well, that that's that is true. That's fair. That's a good point. In the context of this movie and how nonsensical it is, I'm okay with it. Though. Okay. okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Oh man. Uh, so my my last thing for the restaurants, not food related, uh, is calzones. No, but uh, I think that we should have in the gift shop, and maybe if it becomes, if we can actually like get a deal with the USPS, fucking Cinemodities restaurant stamps. I don't have to be dead for that to happen. Uh, no, because. What doesn't Barry Sonnenfeld's daughter ask for like Rugrats stamps in the movie? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Rugrats aren't dead. <laughs> <laughs> but she doesn't get the stamps either, though. Uh, no, but I feel like people might get stamps after they die, but like brands can get stamps, right? Really. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, there's Batman stamps, there's Superman stamps. I never understood stamps. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, stop. Don't say anything else. Let's just cut there. I've never understood the stamps. That's it, Zach. That's the fucking Cinemodities merchandise. The shirt just says, I've never understood stamps. <laughs> Please continue. I actually want to know what you mean by I've never understood stamps. No, like, I, okay. Like, you think of the post office. The post office is, like, hemorrhaging money. Like, it's one of those things yes. where, like, they can't stay solvent, like, no matter how hard they try. Yes. Um. And it's like, why, especially in today's day and age, where, like, we have all this technology, why can't you just make custom stamps? Like, nobody's mailing things anymore with stamps. Oh. Like, why can't we just have, that's why, okay, considering that, like, I don't want to ruin the most beautiful, uh, uh, irreverent take I've ever had on this podcast, <laughs> but, like, I don't get the deal stamps in that, why can't we just make our own stamps? Like, why can't we just, like, you give the, like, swipe your credit card, you upload a logo, you can have stamps say whatever you want. That's a good point. As long I'm with you now, as you explained, as as long as you go through the USPS, like it's like I, I would imagine it's I can like getting your shipping own shipping label. Why can't yeah. I make my own stamps? That's, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, exactly. If we can have NFTs, we should be able to make our own stamps. Just saying. <laughs> I like also, that. we should say for the Cinemodis restaurant, we should have a post office, much like in Men in Black, they have their own little kiosk where they have like the duty free shop in the first movie, a Burger King. Really isn't any of that in the third film. Yeah. We should have a post office in oh, the Cinemodis restaurant. 
That's that's good. I like that. I, I like that also because I know if we had a Cinemodities post office, we would try our damnedest to make the mail take forever to get where it's supposed to go. We lose mail and shit like that. And even trying to be bad at it, we would still be better than the USPS. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Apparently, I googled custom stamps, and Vistaprint came up with custom stamps. Let's see. Let's see well, real quick. Well, probably stamps as in, like, like, st- yep, like a make- you're exactly right. Yeah, that's what it was. Yep, absolutely. Postage stamps. Postage custom stamps. Postage stamps. That's good. God, I feel like we are totally... But when I Google this, it's going to put me on a list, you know? They're going to be like, someone's trying to outdo the USPS. <laughs> Uh, I, I feel like trying to like do anything with like physical postage stamps reminds me of that time from like last November where I got that little brochure in the mail for like custom like personal checks. Oh and yeah, one of them was, and one of them was like for like the Eternals, and I'm like, <laughs> who is this for? Like, who is- uh, oh, okay. So this is apparently we could do through USPS, personalized stamped stationery or postcards. So this is what you do: select an envelope or postcard. Pick a stamp image, choose a font for your return address, have your personalized envelope shipped directly to your door. Jesus Christ. Now, here's the question. Can you pick the personalized stamp image from their bank or can their bank of you know images or can you upload an image? That's the question because you can upload an image. Boom. We're in. Cinemodity stamps. Here we go. The logo and everything. Technically, Cinemodity's branded letters. They just happen to have postage paid for Oh my already. god, I have to sign in to get started? Go fuck yourself, USPS. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, here we go. See, sample envelopes and prices. And there are no images in the window that popped up. Uh, oh god. Uh, okay, let's see how much this costs, though. Now that I'm interested. Um, let's see, let's see. Personalized stamped card pricing. I think that's postcard. Let's skip that. It's personalized stamped envelope-based pricing. Here we go. Three-quarters envelope. I'm guessing that's a size. Box of 50, $35.50. Okay. Uh, Price is above it for regular water-activated adhesive envelopes using the default font selections. Eight-point aerial type using black ink. This, as I'm looking into this, it reminds me eerily of the time we went down the FYE burn your own CD rabbit hole. (laughs) Defunct and terrible businesses, I know the USPS isn't really a business, but I think everyone knows what I mean, that offer outdated customization. (laughs) Oh, that's good. But I think that we should have Cinemodities branded stamps, and I think not only should we have our little logo, you know, our little... VHS logo, but we could even probably, you know, do some things from movies that we've covered and stuff like that. Like, as we've talked about, uh, maybe there's a stamp that says Cinemodities on it and it references the sand dune from Dune or something like that, you know? Uh, I think that would be really cool. And also, we could yell at people when they try and buy them, you know, make fun no, of them Rob, and stuff Rob, like that. Did you really say the dune, the sand dune from Dune? Yeah, yeah, we've talked no, about Rob, that before. It's, no, Rob, <laughs> it's the dune from Jodorowsky's Dune. Okay, I didn't put Jodorowsky's. That's the Dune that we talk about. We don't reference any... It's definitely not Denis Villeneuve's Dune. Uh, Sorry, Denis Villeneuve's Dune. It could be the David Lynch Dune. Um, But that was the last snack I had, Zach. Anything else for the restaurant? No, I think that's it. Right on. Of course, if you want to weigh in 
on the slap of Will Smith. You can, of course, email us at cinemodities.gmail.com. You can post on the Cinemodities subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash cinemodities, to say, why the fuck did they record this so early? Um, and, of course, if you like what you heard, you can head on over to the Cinemodities Patreon, where I have no goddamn clue what we're going to be recording at this or releasing in this month, but definitely head on over to support the podcast and to get access to a ton of other episodes, that type of thing. I guess then we already said how we're going to end this episode with uh, Will Smith's uh, Slap Your Head in reverse. Slap Chris Rock's head in reverse. Featuring Trinox. Introducing Featuring, Trinox. Introducing Trinox. Um, I look forward to everything we've discussed prior to this. So yes, absolutely. Please comment down below how you enjoyed, oh God, Lilo and Stitch. Oh God, that's right. <laughs> we are discussing that. <laughs> We know, Rob, we discussed it. You got to use the past tense. Yes, absolutely. We discussed it, of course. Oh, man, wasn't it so cool, Zach, when you weren't here and Ben and I did that whole series in May that we have no idea what it is right now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the turnstiles are never going to... We we are literally living in the turnstiles. They're never going to go away. I feel like if we ever, like catch up or get into, into a, like a, a point where we aren't in the turnstiles, we might as well just not be doing the podcast anymore, you know? <laughs> Truly the most Cinemati's film to ever exist. Absolutely.